Summer driving is here, and so are the red-hot deals on the best tire brands at Dobbs. Money saver June deals on new sets of Goodyear, Cooper, Continental, Michelin, and Pirelli tires. Click on GoToDobbs.com to find your next set of tires today. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. This is a character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Good morning, St. Louis. It's Carriker and Smallman here on 101 ESPN. I'm Michelle Smallman. Randy Carriker is off all week, but we have Chris Kerber hanging out with us again this morning, the voice of the blues, who had a quick turnaround after a road trip last night. Good morning, Kerbs. I did, listen, this is the, spree, uh, the preseason for all of us. That's right. Right? So I, I've got to get used to, you know, three, four nights sleep here, uh, hours of sleep every now and then because of travel that's coming up. So uh, th- this is excellent training, and I'm ready to go. And I know... Sports fans in St. Louis today are 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 just they're waking up disappointed that the streak is over. All I can tell you is that look, it's preseason. The Blues won two in a row. You know uh, they they <laughs> lost one yesterday. We didn't have a whole lot of uh, the regulars in the lineup, so don't get too upset about it. That's right, Curbs. Good advice because yeah. people are really heartbroken that the Blues fell to the Blue Jackets five to two last <laughs> night. I know a lot of people were locked into that. Oh, and there was another game happening in St. Louis. Oh, I heard about this. The Cardinals lost. They finally lost. The streak has ended, but it ended at 17 games. The Cardinals did fall to the Brewers 4 to nothing last night. Adrian Hauser pitching for the Brew Crew. Miles Michaelis went for the Cardinals, and he looked sharp. We're going to talk about this game all morning, but I think we should take a second, Curbs, and, and just reflect on the fact that the Cardinals just wrapped up a 17-game win streak in which they punched their ticket to the postseason. And... It's still kind of remarkable, even though we're living in it, we're in the moment. I still kind of can't believe that it happened. When you think back to about three weeks ago, when we were trying to make the math work to think if the Cardinals could back into the playoffs. Well, and I also think, so if you were a better, and and I don't know what the fast lane did this when they bet the board last night. We obviously, I didn't hear that part of their show. I wonder if any of them took the Brewers last night, because if you're going to use your head, that was like the loss last night, almost about as sure a thing as you could expect. You you clinch, you're finally able to let the air out of the balloon, right? You're 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 pouring champagne, uh, celebrating going into the playoffs, and I mean, I just a little bit of a letdown. That was the game to have it happen, and even then, I mean, you get shut out, but it, I mean, shoot, it was still kind of a close game. So you're thinking. With, with the way this team is, and they're down by two or three, and it's the sixth or seventh inning, you're going, well, still, I still think they got a shot the way they've been and how they've had. And that's that's the coolest feeling. But, yeah, that's the, the streak comes to a close. It's, it's really quite an impressive run. I mean, we got to see something very historic. It re-electrified a fan base. It, it turned the feelings of a season around, you know. And, and now we get ready for a week from yesterday. We get ready for next Wednesday. We get the fun of watching how Mike Schilt manages his lineup, mm-hmm. who he puts in, who he starts, who he rests, how you work that pitching staff. 
and and that's going to be the fun strategy of this week leading into next Wednesday. Plus, you still get the fun of watching, you know, a race to determine who it is you're exactly going to play and see if there's any twists and turns on that one. So this this is kind of it's a fun week to be a fan. You're right. And uh, if you were going to bet on that game last night for the, the streak to end when you realize that Yadier Molina is missing his second consecutive game yep. with that right shoulder stiffness and Nolan Arenado and Tyler O'Neill and Tommy Edmond weren't starting that might have been the game to bet. You kind of had a feeling heading into that one once you saw that Mike Schilt was, in fact, starting to uh, take a little bit of a, a let's rest some of our guys so that we're fresh for next week approach. I, I think a lot of people had a feeling going into this game that this might be the end. You know, the the intensity that these athletes feel. Yeah, I mean, and I know some some fans out there get it. You know, some fans don't. I think some fans forget that they're dealing with humans Imagine imagine how you felt as a Cardinal fan. All these different shows, Michelle, you've done all summer long about this topic, that topic, how this guy's hitting, this guy's not hitting, now this guy's out, this guy's injured. You name it. Man, nobody feels it more than the players in that room. For sure. No, nobody feels it more than the players in that room. I'm not sure that, I mean, imagine the pressure that Nolan Arenado felt this year. Comes in first year, you're all excited. You were the big acquisition, and things were struggling. At times, he was struggling at the plate, and and the pride that he has, and these other guys have, they, they know they weren't playing up to their potential yet. And sometimes you just can't fix it. So sometimes you have seasons and stretches like that. It's cool that they were able to somehow right the ship and and start to click because what a cool feeling it is. So imagine you have all that pressure on yourself and then you finally make it. And you know that essentially other than staying sharp and keeping your skills ready and keeping that feeling and that positive vibe going into next Wednesday, these games have zero meaning. Nobody can catch you. You can't improve yourself. The Blues, it happened to the Blues last year. Mm-hmm. You know, but when the Blues ended up making the playoffs, they couldn't catch Minnesota, right? Nobody else was going to catch them. So now you're just playing to keep things sharp, and it's, it's, a, it's a different vibe to be able to let the wind out of the sails a little bit. It certainly is. Miles Michaelis was on the mound for the Cardinals last night. In five and two-thirds innings, he gave up seven hits, three earned runs, seven strikeouts, and a walk. But, Curbs, that wasn't the pitching story of the night, at least for me. We saw Jack Flaherty come into the game out of the bullpen with what he was there for an inning, one hit, one strikeout, and a walk. And Mike Schilt last night talked about Jack Flaherty and gave his assessment of his outing as far as jack goes it was a those a positive step forward for jack you know again he's back on the mound right so that's a that's a positive in and of itself and um he's recovering well and it's a good opportunity for him to get out there and, and grab an inning and um i thought all three of them fished definitely well enough to give us a chance they did their part Sorry, my headphones just unplugged there. But that was an interesting thing for me. We had gotten word that Jack Flaherty was going to be moving to the bullpen, but to see him come out of the bullpen, it's great to have him back. And I'm wondering, Curbs, what kind of role the Cardinals are intending to use him down the stretch? Is he going to be the setup guy? Are you going to be a little bit more cautious with him and maybe not consider using him on the on the postseason roster? I don't really know what Mike Schultz is thinking about Jack Flaherty at this point, but last night seemed like a little bit of an audition to see what role they might use him in. Okay, so if he comes in a couple of games ago and throws about 19 pitches, if you figure you've got, I don't know, in a 20 to 30 pitch count range right now, and you think that he can be effective with those pitches in the and that number, you're putting him on your roster because he's a player 
that has that, that that I think can handle some high leverage situations, and if he's able to handle the mentality of coming out of the bullpen, and I do not understand why he, I, I don't think under, I see no reason to think that he couldn't, right? You're going to bring him in, and uh, so. Yeah, it's 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 not only trying him out, Michelle. It's getting him ready. It's getting sure. it, it's getting the understanding of hey, what's it going to take if we if we can use you from the bullpen because he's clearly not going to start at least early on in this process. If, if if they make a deep run, maybe there's a start where they're thinking you know a, a three four inning start right, and then somebody else comes in. He's clearly not going to start. So this is about him learning a routine too. Of, of what to do and how to come out of the bullpen and how to prepare yourself mentally to, to come into a situation, not get yourself out of one that you got yourself in. Come in and can you get out of a situation that somebody else got yourself in? And it is a different mindset. So I think this is a bit of a, uh, yeah, tryout, maybe to see where the manager is comfortable, to see where Jack Flaherty is, how he's going, and, and where that pitches is, but also to Kind of get him mentally, Jack Flaherty, mentally in a spot where he understands what it's going to take to handle that position. That's right. All all pitchers have their routine as right. they get warmed up and they get ready to go from a physical and mental standpoint. And that's why I think it, would, it was interesting to see Jack coming into that situation last night. How, how was he going to look when his, I guess his routine could still be the same, but used in a different situation. And... Is that going to be something that's viable for the Cardinals in the postseason? Mike Schilt was asked about this last night about Jack Flaherty's health and what his role could potentially be in the postseason. We're in the balancing act there, and we're going to, you know, continue to figure out what that looks like. And we're not going to, we're not going to push to push. You know, we're going to, we're going to, you know, pitch him when he feels good and feels um, confident. Or we're going to give him the opportunity to go out and compete. But we also recognize that, you know, we're about to head into a postseason and. And, um, you know, it's not a it's it's a time to, you know, obviously put put the guys out there that can help us the most. Jack is clearly a guy that can help us. Um, but we, we got to make sure we are carrying our, our, our group that, you know, don't have a lot of limitations in that in that setting. I thought that was a very interesting comment from Mike Schilt after the game curbs, because obviously Jack Flaherty, when right, is a, a dominant pitcher. He's such a weapon for you in whatever role you can get out of him. However many innings you can get out of him, if he's right, that's something that you want to use. But to have Mike Schilt say, especially after you saw Jack Flaherty come out of the pen last night, yes, if if Jack is healthy, we're going to use him. We're not going to push to push. And we also are in a situation where we need to make sure that the guys that we're carrying into the postseason are guys that can contribute to us and we don't have those those lingering concerns or questions. I thought that was a little telling that he would say something like that last night. Well, it, it is, but they also have the chance to reset their thought process. You're going to have whatever roster you're going to go into the wild card game with. And then you're going to set your roster for, if you make it through that, the division series. And in that situation, you're not thinking a seven-game series. You're thinking a five-game series. So you're saying, okay, who can help us in these situations? And that's also going to be dependent on the opponent. Now, if you can get through that, and I know we're talking about a lot of ifs and buts here, but if you can get through that, now you're talking about a team feeling it again, feeling all the momentum, and you're talking about a seven-game series. In, in the league championship series. Now you're talking about, okay, who's your opponent? Different situations and how that creates themselves based on travel days, days off in the middle of that. So each one of these steps along the way is a different scenario. And if you go back a, a couple of days ago, um, oh, was it, I don't know if it was Adam Wainwright with you guys. I can't remember which player did the interview, but they were talking about 
you know, we have guys. I mean, shit, you know what it was? I think it might have been Danny sitting right here uh, on on Monday or Tuesday, Michelle, when when we were doing the crossover, and he was talking about like the guys know the role. Like your seventh inning guy knows he's coming in, right? Gallegos knows the situation he's going to be coming into, right? Who's got the six? Who's got this situation? That's one of the reasons that you've had success. Well, if you just all of a sudden want to tweak that and say, I think Flaherty could come in here and do that, and it kind of changes some of that up a little bit, you can mess with a good thing. And so while a lot of this is, and, and, if, and if, you, if you think his arm is good and he can handle it, you're putting him in in certain situations. But you're not messing with some of the, the roles and the other situations that you have now solidified for guys that has made you successful. You have to balance that. And I think I think that's what Mike Schilt is referring to a little bit. We want to hear from you. If you were John Mozalock, if you were Mike Schilt, what would you do with Jack Flaherty as the Cardinals turn the page and get ready for the postseason? 65780, the Air Comfort Service text line, or of course, you can always send us a mic drop on the Rhino Shield mic drop feature on the 101 ESPN app. That's Chris Kerber, the voice of the Blues here on 101 ESPN. I'm Michelle Smallman. And coming up next... Get those texts in to 65780. It's time for Sick of It. Keep it here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. ESPN Michelle Smallman and Chris Kerber hanging out with you this morning. Get those texts into 65780. It's time for Sick of It. And Kerbs, yesterday was National Coffee Day. I don't know if you're aware of that. Uh, uh, who sets national days? That is an amazing question. Do we, do we, do any, we have any idea who this is? I don't know. Like I've always National wondered that. National Short-Haired Dog Day? We should figure it out, and we should come up with a day. I've always thought that. We should just decide one day is National 101 ESPN Michelle day. day. Yeah, National Michelle Day. Anybody named Michelle, what would you do on National Michelle Day? Sleep in. You get it off? <laughs> sleep in. No, wait, no, you get your own day. You're going to sleep it away? That's no, no. You got to no, get no. up early on those days and go do stuff. No, 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 no. If it's Michelle Day, I'm sleeping in. Because now, doing this show... My body clock, even on a Saturday morning, I'm up by 5 a.m. at the latest. If I can sleep till 7 on a weekend, it's like I get out of bed and the clouds part and the heavens sing and I feel like a new person. You have uh, seven room darkening shades. I need to get those. I need to get those. Yeah. I okay. need to get those. Back, back to coffee. Sorry, I, I derailed you. No, you're good. So yesterday was National Coffee Day, and I love coffee. I think most people do, but especially when you work a morning show and you have to stay up late watching games and turn around, coffee is your friend. The first thing I think about when I open my eyes is how quickly can I get a cup of coffee? And I've lived without coffee. When I did 75 hard, I removed coffee from the equation. I went 75 days without it, and I missed it every second of every day. And you know what I'm really sick of with coffee is the conflicting reports on if it's good for you or not. I read this thing on Golf Digest yesterday about Phil Mickelson, who said that coffee changed his health, that coffee was so beneficial to him from a health perspective that it helped with his metabolism. And he hasn't been sick in all of the years that he's been drinking coffee and that every doctor that he's spoken to has said from a health perspective, coffee is beneficial. Okay, great. Thank you, Phil. I appreciate that. But then you get reports coffee is a stimulant stimulant do not drink it it's it's something you can get addicted to it all it alters your state because of the caffeine you shouldn't do it so you know what i'm sick of what if you like that altered state that's right isn't that the whole point of it i'm just sick of people dissing coffee i'm sick of people trying to tell me that it's not good when i i don't want to live without it yep i uh 
So when it comes to something like that, uh, like a beer or That's wine right. Right, right. or whiskey or coffee uh, or a frittata, well, whatever it may be. <laughs> a frittata. Right? Whatever it may be, if, if you like it, it's good for you. So long as, here, here's the caveat, okay? So long as what you like that's good for you is not harmful to somebody else. Okay? I don't care if you want to eat bacon as your only source of food intake for your entire life. I don't care if you want to be obese or thin or whatever. Whatever you want to do with life, do it. And if it makes you feel good, do it. And if it makes you happy, do it. So long as it doesn't impact somebody else's potential health or, or something like that. Like, like smoking, for example. You want to smoke? Smoke, right? Okay. But somebody else shouldn't have to breathe the, your secondhand smoke kind of thing. Does that make sense? Sure. Yeah. So, so I'd say when it gets to your coffee, if you like it, do it. And if it makes you feel better because it's helping Phil Mickelson, even better. That's right. So now, from- has it helped your golf game? No, nothing. Ever okay, well. nothing. I'm just, okay, I'm just terrible. Checking on that one. Great at gotcha. driving the cart, great at drinking beers, a great morale booster out there. Nice. That's a good cart person. Even if you have a bad shot, I'll be like, you'll get him next time. Don't worry about it. The wind picked it up. So from from the 573, anti-coffee people can't be trusted. I agree with that. But more importantly, people that drink decaf curbs, I don't understand. Uh-oh. Just smack yourself in the face and get get on with your day. Um, what's, the, what's the point of drinking coffee if you're not going to get the boost? I have not. It's the entire I, I stopped objective. drinking caffeine 23 years ago. Even coffee? I, I've actually only recently kind of become a coffee drinker because my wife has always said it's my one fault. I tease her about that. I go, really? That's my one fault? Said I don't drink coffee? Um, no, I had, I, I was sitting down to do a game in St. John, New Brunswick, and about 15 minutes before the game, my heart started racing. I would drink, I would drink Coke. Like, people would drink coffee. I mean, i get up in the morning, I'd crack a 12-ounce Coca-Cola at the time, right? And, uh... Heart started racing, couldn't figure out what it is. They took me down to the trainer's room, the St. John Flames. Doctors came down. They go, no, I don't think it's a heart attack. And, and I'm I'm 20, 28 at the time. And uh, go to the hospital. They go, no, nothing's good. I come back. I end up calling the rest of the game. But um, uh, I said, well, they couldn't figure out what it is. I'll, I'll see what I can do. And I just said, I got to change something. So I got rid of caffeine just like that. And it took about 10 days. And I was slow, had some headaches, whatever. And then, like, one morning, just woke up, boom. So, like, like this morning, even with four hours sleep, no problem. Get up, get out of bed, go. And if I need a 20-minute snooze at some point in time today, right, I'll just, I'll take a 20-minute nap. Like, maybe if I got a half hour and I got to wait to go pick up one of the kids or something like that, I'll pull into the parking lot, put the seat back, take a 20-minute nap, hit the, hit the, hit the alarm, wake up in the car, and, and be good to go. So, I... Uh, I I took caffeine. Now, if I like, if I drink a, a a caffeinated coffee, a twelve ounce caffeinated coffee right now, eight ounces, right? Give me give me about a half hour. And if I showed you my hand, I mean, I'd be like I'd be like the Waco kid, you know? Yeah, look at this, steady as a rock. Yeah, but I shoot with this hand, you know? Like I, I you'd see me starting to shake, and it, I mean, I'd be like a prairie dog knowing an earthquake's coming. So yeah, I, I got rid of caffeine a long time ago. Dang. Well, what are you sick of, Curbs? Uh. I don't know. Nothing right now. Well, that's good. I, honest to God. I, I mean, I'm you're like, a pleasant I'm, person in a good mood. I'm just, uh, 
I'm happy. Uh, I'm happy the hockey season's coming. I'm happy some things are getting back to normal. I, I, I'd like to say I'm sick of some of all this COVID stuff, but I'm even tired of feeling that way. So I'm happy about whatever anybody wants to feel about. I got, I, I got no complaints. But I will bring this up. Maybe not sick of it, but with what you just talked about, I'll throw this at you. And, and maybe fans can understand this. Uh, when you work and you come home late at night and the family's asleep, like you got to be real quiet in the house. Oh, yeah. All right. And then Tick-toe. you then, then you kind of you got to get undressed in the dark. You got to do everything in the dark. Then you get up in the morning like we did this morning. Right. And nobody's up just yet or they're just starting to stir. Right. So you're, in the dark, you're like, man, I do a lot of things in the dark. And, and you realize, and, and then sometimes you put on, you know, your socks don't match or for some reason, or maybe, uh, well, I'm, I'm bad with fashion. Any, I'm, I'm still a grand animal kid. I still got to match the lion with the lion or I got no shot of looking even decent. So, um, but uh, get, you know, living in the dark sometimes uh, just because the timing of your world, that's a, that's a challenge. Yes, it is. Yeah. Let's get to some texts. We want to hear what you're sick of. 65780, the air comfort service text line. Emily, what do you have for us? From the 636, I'm sick of all the losing. Seriously, though, I'm sick of the lack of national media attention that the Cardinals haven't gotten with the streak. If it was New York, Boston, or L.A., there would be a 15-minute segment every day on ESPN. That's actually very true. I agree with that. Um, They've mentioned it a few times on ESPN when I've been watching or listening. I know MLB Network, of course, has been all over it. Different outlets have covered it, but this texture is right. If this was the Yankees or if this was the Dodgers or if this was the Mets or even the Cubs, people would be all over this. But because it's the Cardinals, I don't know if it's because of the market that we're in or the fact that the Cardinals seem to do something devil magic-y every few years and people just kind of shrug their shoulders at it. They're numb to the Cardinals doing unbelievable things. Or maybe it's just baseball in general because people would rather talk about Justin Fields or Andy Dalton for three hours a day. I don't know what it is, but we just witnessed history and the Cardinals deserve much more love nationally. I agree with that. I I think it's something you just have to be used to, right? I mean, it... It doesn't really matter what the topic is or what the issue is. Those markets, because of who it is and, and, and what the way they handle the ratings and all these different things, they know that, that those are going to be it. So that's I, it, I think it is strictly still just a city-based, market-based thing, isn't it? Oh, no doubt. When I was at ESPN, we used to look at the ratings and see what played nationally. And baseball didn't really rate nationally. It was very interesting to me coming from a place like St. Louis where we could talk baseball 365 days a year and people would be happy because they love their Cardinals and this is a great baseball town. But nationally, you're going to get more ratings if you talk about Aaron Rodgers or if you talk about anything to do with the NFL or in, in a lot of places NBA it just people love baseball but it, you're right it's very regionalized they're very much into their team not necessarily baseball as a whole well but then sometimes you also get into tra- like a, a former program director here from years ago would come into to the the show hosts on this station and say don't talk don't talk hockey our research shows that fans don't want to hear that. Well, look what's happened now. The Blues have been on this station for three straight years. That's right. Right? And, and, the, and the ratings are tremendous, uh, even during the games. Right? So so sometimes it's, I think, people get, and especially at the network level with the pressures and, and the metrics and how that all works out, they get so stuck in the way that 
you can tell great stories. Like, how many times do you have a guest on? Right? One of my favorite guests to have on when I'm filling in is like John Morosi, right? And and or like Pedro Gomez was always great about this kind of thing. Man, he, he they told some great stories, some human interest stories, some things that you didn't get when. You, and as soon as somebody's telling those stories, you're locked in, right? You're locked in. It doesn't have to be some sensational hot take about Aaron Rodgers being moody today. You know, like, and and so I, I do think sometimes. People care about their fantasy teams. Yeah. That's why they want to know if Aaron Rodgers is moody. I think some of it gets in the way a little bit. But, uh, but I, again, it just happens. It it's, does. It's the market. All right, Emily, let's get one more. Speaking of fantasy teams, everyone set your pickums. Oh, thank you. Everyone you knew set that. your pickums. Oh, did anyone happen to see my record last week? Randy and I at the top of the table, NBD. I think I was at the bottom. <laughs> but thank it's you okay. for the reminder. Okay. And head to 101ESPN.com if you want to participate in the Pick'em Challenge. From the 314, I'm sick of the Cardinals losing again. This whole organization has lost its touch. Seriously, how hard is it to just win 18 straight? That's right. Come I on, can, no I can, excuses. I can appreciate that person's approach in life. No excuses. No excuses. Brutal. You're Everybody gonna, should be upset today. You're going to give Arenado, O'Neal, and Edmund yeah. a day off? Really? That's a joke. When 18 is on the line? And you're making $25 million a year. Play every day. That's right. Bring it. They should have opened the presser last night just saying, explain yourself. Yeah. <laughs> How dare you not get 18? <laughs> thank you, Emily. Thank you. And thank you for your text to 65780. Again, send us a text and mic drops. We're going to talk about Jack Flaherty all throughout the show, and we want to hear from you. If you were Mike Schilt, if you were John Mosaloc, and you guys were sitting down and you were trying to determine what role you would use Jack Flaherty in or if you'd even carry him in the postseason roster, let us know. We want to hear from you. And we're going to pose that question next to our friend Greg Amzinger, lead Anchor for MLB Network. We're going to talk to him coming up next, so keep it here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. It's Character and Smallman here on 101 ESPN. I'm Michelle Smallman. Randy Character is on vacation today. I believe he's playing golf. We were texting again. Yeah, we were texting last night. But what else would you do if you're having a staycation in St. Louis and the weather was this beautiful? Wouldn't you play golf every day? He was at. Uh, I know he put on Instagram or some. You know, I, I follow him on social media because he is a socialite, and so um, <laughs> you know, w- watching his swing at Top Golf, oh, you know, yeah. he, he oh, has yeah. been working at it. So he's either got. I mean, he's got blisters on his hands, and, and it's got to be from swinging a golf club at this point with, with as much time as he took off this week. That's the voice of the Blues, Chris Kerber, who's filling in for Randy. But right now, let's head to the Browning Group and Celebrity Line and welcome in our friend Greg Amzinger of MLB, MLB Network. Good morning, Greg. Can you believe the Cardinals lost a game last night? I hear I was thinking they could go for 18. No excuses. Uh, let me tell you something. I I don't know what the line was in Vegas for that game, but any team that clinches a postseason spot, you always take the other club the next day. I mean, I mean they're having a party. They're they're having a great time. They're unwinding. There was no chance. I thought it was impressive. They mustered three hits. <laughs> they had no chance at, at extending it. I will say this: Harold Reynolds pointed it out, and I thought it was a lovely way to end our show. Um, at 1 a.m. Eastern last night, he said, look, there aren't many fan bases that get it like Cardinal Nation. 
and to see so many fans in a game that was out of reach for nothing really. And you could tell they all looked hungover. And, and yet all these fans stayed and gave a standing ovation to a Cardinal team that lost for nothing and mustered three hits. And that is a testament to what they know. And that's that this club has been grinding 17 straight victories. They partied late last night. Give them a break. It was a game that they really didn't want to play. Mission accomplished. Let's talk about the wild card game. This is a great run. That's right. I, I imagine there was a lot of Bud Light consumed the night before. But, uh, Greg, I always love talking to you, but I couldn't wait to talk to you this week because when the Cardinals clinched, a couple nights ago, the first thing that came to my mind was the story that you told us about Nolan Arenado at the All-Star game coming up to you on the purple carpet and whispering in your ear, we're playing in the wild card game. And when you told Randy and I that story, Randy and I looked at each other and I, we both kind of gave the, oh, bless his heart, that that's what he thinks is going to happen because the team was not playing well at that time. And this is just one of those stories that seems like it's going to become one of the legends of this season. I hope it does because it is really that cool. And, and, and what I've learned time and time again is no matter how much we think we know as fans, and, and we're very well-educated fans. I mean, let's be honest. In St. Louis, we eat, drink, breathe baseball. I mean, we kind of all think we should be a general manager for one of the 30 teams. Um, we don't know as much as these people know. We, we don't. And Nolan Arenado is a future Hall of Famer, in my humble opinion. I don't think anybody would disagree with me. He's on that highway right now. And when he looks at who they've got healthy, who's getting healthy, who they're going to play, who isn't healthy on the other teams, he, he's still chatting with players all over all over the baseball landscape. I don't second-guess players as much anymore. I try not to second-guess front office executives as much anymore. I still fall into that trap. On the day of the trade deadline, when John Lester and Jay Happ are the headline attraction for St. Louis, when other teams are getting Chris Bryant, Max Scherzer, and Trey Turner, I, I roll my eyes. But I try to tell my St. Louis friends, and this is a struggle for me. It is a struggle because everyone in St. Louis thinks they know more than John Mozeliak. They really, truly do think that. you got to trust the people that do this every day for a living. You know, I, I bring up this analogy – I really hope Cardinal fans don't walk onto every plane they get onto and go into the cockpit and go, show me your credentials. I want to see them. I'm not buying. I think I might be able to fly this better than you. No, you have to blindly follow those that are well-trained. And what more evidence do we need to know that John Mozeliak is well-trained at this? So the Nolan Arenado story is, is an epic one, and it goes to the point that these, these people that do this for a living have a better feel than the rest of us. Hey, Greg, a lot of fans have been curious about the, uh, you know, the, the continued rehab and, 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 I guess, adjustments of Jack Flaherty, how the Cardinals are going to use him, how they'll go. You know, what do you do if you if, – yeah, I mean, I, clearly if he can – if he can help you for a couple of innings, you're going to probably put him on that, that playoff roster. But having said that, the, an interesting aspect of this season, the way it's gone, is you got to go back to the first part of the year. When Jack Flaherty starts the season off, I think it was like 8-0, right? And without that start from him, despite the injuries that he's suffered and then the, the tough year he's had to get, you know, to just get back in the lineup because of the injuries, without that start, even with the 17-game win streak, this season could have a different vibe. 
I completely agree. I mean, you can lose a pennant in April. Everyone says you can't win one, but you sure can lose one. And, you know, what it did is it made the cute story of some 39-year-old curveball tossing right-hander uh, an actual relevant one. And it, it lit the fire that Adam Wainwright couldn't just be a, a feel-good story. He had to pitch like a Cy Young contender, and he did. It got serious for Wayno and the rest of that rotation uh, because they, they dealt with so many injuries along the way. I mean, when you think of Kim and Michaelis, guys that you were relying on uh, to give you a lot of innings, and, and that did not happen. And then Jack Flaherty was a Cy Young front runner for a while uh, going down. And now when you're looking at him, it's funny. We're uh, putting a, a few pitchers under the, uh, the postseason microscope. Uh, Luis Severino for the New York Yankees is going to be a weapon coming out of their bullpen. And he looks great. If the Yankees get past the wild card game, you, you got to watch out. Last night, we put Carlos Rodon under the microscope. He was a Cy Young frontrunner on the AL side. He threw five scoreless innings fresh off the IL, but frankly did not look good doing it. I mean, his fastball velocity was 91-92. And when he was throwing no-hitter earlier in the year, he touched 99 on his 100th pitch. So he's down a tick. Jack Flaherty is not passing flying colors right now when we put him underneath the microscope. All of our pitching analysts are really curious to see how he looks as a bullpen weapon. And I think you still put him on the roster because a max effort, big moment could get really great stuff out of Jack Flaherty, but we really haven't seen that overpowering stuff yet. And it remains to be seen who that swing guy will be. I think the Cardinals were hoping Flaherty could be a weapon uh, one game at a time at this point. Uh, it's good to see that if you're a fan of the Cardinals, Max Scherzer has back-to-back clunkers on the mound because that game is everything, that wild card game. Uh, but Flaherty, if the Cardinals can get past the Dodgers, becomes a very important person for this wild card to World Series pursuit. Greg, I know every injury is different, every player is different, every series and every matchup is different, but I can't help but think back to Michael Waka and the postseason moment with Travis Ishikawa and and wonder if it really is smart to use Jack Flaherty in, in a high-leverage situation when you don't know if he's 100%. Yeah, see, the difference there uh, with Michael Waka, as great as he was that year, he was a two-pitch guy, and he always was. That was so dominant that that it, it made sense to put in the bullpen. But there was always this debate as to whether or not Waka, without that third pitch, and a team seeing him over and over again, eventually he'd run into problems. He was extremely dominant, had a great run. Jack Flaherty has the triple-digit get-out-of-my-way stuff. Like, I don't have a feel for my slider today. I'll still strike out the side stuff. So that is that's what you're looking at with Jack Flaherty. And, and I know it, it hasn't worked all the time, but when you've got a guy who's got the best stuff on your team, it changes things. Keep in mind, Devin Williams punched a wall for the Milwaukee Brewers, and he is their version of, of Michael Waka, and, and he broke his hand. And the Brewers' strength is their bullpen. He's the, the, the bridge to, to Josh Hader. That's a significant injury. And I asked Dan Plesak, a former Brewer closer and legend, in my opinion, what are they going to do? Who's the next guy up? You know, who is it? Is it Boxberger? Start naming all these relievers. And he goes, it's such an important role, especially in October. He thinks Peralta should be removed from the rotation, who's got a 15.9K per nine as a reliever in his career, and be placed back in the bullpen 
because Devin Williams in the bullpen is more important than your game three starter in your rotation. So that is where October baseball is now. It's not a, not a marathon anymore. It is a sprint, and you need your gas and flamethrowers in the pen. So it, it, it is a trend. It is a trend, and Flaherty in a division series will be a very important reliever for the Cardinals. Okay, so that I got one other quick question for you, Greg. Here, but before I get to that, I like I read that story about Devin Williams last night uh, during the intermission. Actually, when I was flipping around, and and I'm I'm thinking, okay, this guy clearly did not have Crash Davis as a mentor in the minors, right? And and you're going like like I would I wonder if there's like a media member out there that would have the guts to sit there and say, hey, they didn't teach you like like punch with your non pitching hand. Yeah. Like, like, holy cow, I, I read that, and I'm thinking, I'm, I'm sitting there, you know, looking at Tim Robbins hovering over Kevin Costner going, well, what hand did you hit me with? But here, here's here's my question for you. Um, taking you out of St. Louis for, for a little bit here. There's another great story that's been going on for a little while, and it's just been kind of brewing, and now it's bubbling right to the surface in the final week. But but the fact that the Seattle Mariners can kind of eat their way in, I mean, to me, this has been as much fun to watch as, as the Cardinals' resurgence because they're coming out of nowhere, and they're putting some pressure on the big boys. And it's not just coming out of nowhere. I mean, this this, this is a team out of front office that was completely vilified. I mean, the Kendall Graveman trade looked like they were waving the white flag when the team was within striking distance and you had two months to go in, in, the, in the regular season. Kendall Graveman was their best reliever. He was in a walk year, and they traded him to their division rival while they were playing them in a series. So it was just an awful look. The optics were terrible, and everyone in St. Louis uh, didn't realize the people in Seattle and even the players for the Mariners were really upset with Jerry DePoto, the GM of the Seattle Mariners. They were upset. So imagine being Abraham Toro, who was the headline attraction they got in return for Kendall Graveman. He drags all of his gear over to the other clubhouse, and now he's in a clubhouse that doesn't want him there because one of the most popular players on the team was just traded to his old team. And it all came to a head about a month later when Abraham Toro hit a grand slam off Kendall Graveman, the two guys that were traded for each other. It was a symbolic moment. Jerry DePoto tried to tell the media to calm down that it was part of the bigger picture of philosophy that he had, and it's been working ever since. It goes back to the whole narrative. Guys, they know more than we do. They do, they do. And, and you know, look, what's happening in San Diego, is, to me, is one of the other big stories in baseball. They were my world's they're under 500. This is a clubhouse that is bailing out. They're just done with the manager. And when a team folds, it's ugly. And to see them give away a lead last night, they're done. They, they don't want this manager back. Chase Tingler will not be back, in my opinion. So you'll see these stories along the way. But what the Mariners are doing, I agree. It is absolutely ridiculously entertaining. And getting back to the Devin Williams thing, hey, man, I've made some really dumb decisions when I've been drunk. I really, really have. <laughs> He admitted that he drank too much at the party. And if I was held accountable for every dumb thing I did when I had a few too many, then man, oh, man, would I just be – it'd be a long, long list of dumb decisions Greg Amsinger made. So he's a young kid. Try to cut him some slack, and hopefully he's back and healthy throwing that change up next year. Yeah, Greg, can you imagine after some of your dumb, drunk decisions if you had to face the media and explain yourself? 
Oh, it's awful. Uh, not, not at all. Not at all. <laughs> I think it would just be my bad. Anyway, Greg, uh, last thing for you. Let's look forward to next week. Do you think it will be the Giants or the Dodgers? And do you think that the Cardinals are have a favorable matchup versus either of those teams? Uh, the Cardinals want the Giants in every which way. They would want to play the Giants, even though the Giants have, what, 104 wins, 105 wins. Who knows? The Giants could be 162-0 right now. I'm not kidding. And the, the Cardinals would rather play the San Francisco Giants than the Los Angeles Dodgers. But that said, it's hard for me to continue to go against the Giants. It, it's becoming annoying at this point. Uh, I brought up a stat that I thought maybe will haunt the Giants last night. They're the worst team in baseball, believe it or not, in driving in a runner from third base with less than two outs. They're, the Giants are the worst team in baseball at that one skill. So what do you think they did to win a game last night one nothing? Jack Fly with a runner at third base and less than two outs. Everything I say blows up in my face when it comes to the San Francisco Giants. The Giants will win the West. They will not play the Cardinals in the wild card game. And, man, the more the more I second-guess them, they'll probably run the table in October and win the World Series. It's the most unrealistic dominant team in the history of Major League Baseball. That's Greg Amzinger, MLB Network. Greg, thanks so much for taking the time uh, to chat with us. We always enjoy it, and we'll talk to you next week. All right. Can't wait. See you guys. All right. Now get your text into 65780 to the Air Comfort Service text line. Coming up next, it's time for Take It or Leave It. Keep it here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. It's Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN on this Thursday. Michelle Smallman and Chris Kerber. Sitting in this morning, get those texts into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. It's time for a little game, Chris Kerber, of Take It or Leave It. I'll get things started. So there's been a lot of talk about the Bears and their stadium situation recently. The Bears have actually signed a purchase agreement for the Arlington International Racecourse property in Arlington Heights, Illinois. The team has announced that this week. They're expected to talk more about it. There's been a lot of talk about potentially moving the Bears out of downtown Chicago and into the suburbs. Take it or leave it. That should not be allowed. The Chicago Bears should have to play downtown Chicago. I'll take it, but I'll take it across the board and say no team in the NFL should be allowed to continue to uh, to basically uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, coerce uh, cities and states in, into into funding stadiums for them when they can easily just fix the things they need to do so i don't care where they play or what they do but i'm i'm tired of that routine and it's the only sport like it's it's really the only one where you hear about it all the time Mm -hmm. you know i I know i know issues like like even when in in atlanta when they build they build the new field and now they're going to build another one like down in atlanta it's you know okay so a a stadium is 20 years old they'll turn the field to the new one i like so you do hear it does happen but it's not as just constant as you have with the NFL. And, and I think it's, uh, honest to God, there's got to, there, I know it's not criminal, but it just constantly feels criminal the way, the way the NFL goes about it. And yes, we are dealing with burnt earth and scorched earth here in St. Louis because of that. But I, I saw that report. First thing I thought was, are they no longer racing there? I don't know. I don't remember if they're racing in Arlington or no anymore. But, um, uh, and again, I mean, we got to build it. Somebody's uh, and all somebody's going to end up doing is end up getting that property in downtown Chicago and putting up some high-rise buildings to so get a better look at the lake. But 
the bears should not be in the suburbs. They're the bears. My my best girlfriend from college lives in Arlington Heights. It's an hour from the city. If yeah. if there's it's bad, like Foxborough. It, and that just, it doesn't feel right for the Bears. They should be on the lake. They should be downtown Chicago. And I'm just really sick of the NFL, as you mentioned, using these negotiating tactics. I'm sick of these organizations and ownerships trying to get money from the city. Just do what's best for the fans. Think about if you're coming in from out of town and you go to Chicago and you're staying in the city and then you have to figure out a way to get an hour outside the city, whether it's taking the train or renting a car. It's just a hassle. I did. They've already done the one renovations. They they think they need more. Everyone's trying to compete with Jerry's World down there in Dallas, and and now what uh, what Kroenke built in L.A. Um, it, it's going to be it's going to continue to be hard. You're dealing with the Buffalo Bills threatening to move. You're, I mean, it's just it's it's an ongoing saga in the NFL that just turns your stomach uh, of, of with complete disgust at this point. So, um, I agree with you. Keep the Bears downtown. Keep, I mean, and I love keeping the vibrancy of these things downtown. So um, it, it helps with the areas. I, I think it's important. But you know, I, heck, if, if they're buying the land, you know, they're they're gonna they're, they're gonna pull a Cronky on Chicago and just move them north. Do you have one? All right, take it or leave it. You're looking at uh, a, a group of strawberries in the grocery store. Okay. Two of them. You've got two buckets of strawberries. All right. All right. Take it or leave it. You'll always buy the one that says organic. I'll leave that. I'm probably going to buy the one that's cheaper. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's actually because I was looked at too. You're like, really? Is organic? Like, am I going to spend two more bucks on this just because it says organic? You know what I've learned? I can't taste the difference in organic. And how do I know it's really organic? Did you just slap a sticker on it? I didn't see the process. Bingo. If it's going to cost me three dollars more just to f- sleep at night, I'm not going to do it. I'm with you. Well, I'm with you totally. And the other thing I found too, and I don't know if anybody out there has realized this, but like, like when you take your fruit home from the grocery store, like let's say you get a you get one of the packages of black, you know, of, of blackberries. Okay, do you rinse them off right when you take them home, or do you wait to eat them and then rinse them off right before you eat them? I rinse them right when I get them home, and then I put them in a bowl in the fridge. Okay, what I've noticed, I've done an experiment in here in the over the last two weeks, because when you buy fruit and you've got kids at home, you're buying a lot of fruit. That's right. Okay. The fruit, and and this is probably the organic versus non-organic, it lasts longer in the fridge if you don't rinse them right away when you get home and probably wash all the chemicals that make them last off. Rinse them right before you eat them, and they actually last longer. Now, I don't know the science behind this. I'm just telling you I've done my own personal Frigidaire experiment over the last two runs to the grocery store, but the fruit is lasting longer if you don't rinse it right away and put it in a bowl versus rinse it right before you eat it. Noted. I will try that next time. Let's get to your text. The Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Emily, what do you have for us? From the 636, it's International Podcast Day. Take it or leave it. We all need to listen to the Small Talk Podcast. Oh, you got to take that. You got to take that. And you can find it on 101ESPN.com or on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify or on YouTube. We have a YouTube channel wherever you find your podcasts. I didn't know your dad listens to the show. That's right. That was a nice text I think that might be my co-host, Steve Cerruti, texting him. Thanks, Cerruti. Miss you. This one from the 860, Michelle. 860. Is that Hartford? It's yeah. Connecticut. Yeah, it's oh, Connecticut, wow. I think, right? Shout out Connecticut. Are we shouting out Connecticut? We had two defensemen in the game last night. Uh, oh, hell, I'm going to blank on their name because they're... No, you had Gleason. Gleason and Cross. Two defensemen. They were both born in Hartford. Nice. I mean, you know how... You want to talk about Wild. 
I used to live in Hartford, downtown Hartford. And when I left ESPN for the very first day, I got home. It was like 5 o'clock. I'm, I'm thinking, oh, I live in a city. Let's see what's popping in Hartford. Oh, boy. Absolutely nothing. That Tumbleweeds. Is, that is the ultimate briefcase town. Oh, my god! 5 gosh. o'clock hits, they go. There's all these signs that says Hartford has it. That's their slogan. Hartford has it. I'm like, has what? I had a friend no that, disrespect. Uh, that is an engineer, and he works on and helps build the nuclear submarine boats works for u-boat down there in groton connecticut he's from st louis here craig shunts and when i lived in springfield he lived in groton we would drive and we would meet in hartford every sunday and, and watch the rams games because that's it was kind of in the middle of it so that's we'd go down there and roll down avoid the tumbleweeds kind of like frogger and then uh, watch the rams game and then go home but shout out to the yard goats yeah Good shout morning. out yard goats shout out nardelli's my favorite uh, sub shop out there go get some nardelli's oh wait yard goats did, did Alex Ferrario tell you what I did? This is, this is fantastic. All right, so we're doing a show a, a little while ago with Alex Ferrario. And uh, they do it. I forget what they call the segment, but it's like the news of the weird or something like that. And somebody texts in, apparently like outside of Washington or down near Washington, Missouri, is a restaurant that like that serves like the greatest goat meat burgers. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. And, and I've never I've never had one. But is it I mean, called the Tom Brady? <laughs> Great question. I don't know. and But we'd have to find out. Maybe you cheat when you make it, too. That's the interesting Ooh, one, right? So I got Randy's back. I'm sitting in the chair That's here. Right. I got to be careful there. That's right. So, but anyway, um, the yard goats, because uh, the, 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 the minor league team that you're talking about there, somehow the topic got onto that. And I type in yard goats on the computer, and this website pops up that for like, they put out like a daily newsletter. About yard goats. So, like, if you've got, if you, you know, you've got goats in your yard. Some people just, you know, put goats in their yard to eat the grass and yeah. and do whatever. So, I signed up Alex Ferrario for the newsletter. He's been trying to unsubscribe to that thing for about eight months, and they just won't take him off the list. He's still getting daily emails about yard goats. <laughs> from, That's amazing. From yardgoats.com. That is a good prank. That was, yeah. I need to ask him some some goat facts. <laughs> it's outstanding. Emily, let's get to one more. Back to this Tioli though yes. from the eight six zero. Tom Brady gets booed when he returns to Foxborough this weekend. Oh, I'm going to leave that. Leave it. I think even though Boston fans can be harsh, most of them are still Tom Brady fans. I know a lot of people, Emily, I'm sure you do too. Curves, you probably do too because you spend time in Connecticut. People who are Patriots fans that live in the Northeast. And a lot of them bought Tom Brady Tampa Bay Buccaneers jerseys. Tom Brady will always be their guy. I think if anything, he gets a huge ovation and a lot of respect and love. Okay, take it or leave it. It's more likely that Bill Belichick gets booed if they put him on the video board at (laughs) that game. That's actually a good point. I am very much looking forward to seeing that. I don't know if you guys saw the promo that they're running where it's Adele, hello, and it's the shots of Brady and Belichick. Well done. Did you finally get the song out of your head? I haven't, no. (laughs) But I did Google it. And I think Adele's coming out with new musics in a couple weeks. So hot tip there. Thank you, Emily. Thank you. And thank you for your text to the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Coming up next, the Cardinals lost. Yes, they fell to the Brewers last night, 4 to nothing. They snapped their 17-game win streak. We talk about that game next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> Smallman on 101 ESPN. Michelle Smallman is here. Randy Carriker is on vacation. We have the voice of the Blues, Chris Kerber, sitting in with us all morning. And the Cardinals winning streak is over, Curbs. It finally ended. It, it remains in history at 17 games. Oh, 
Hold on. Put a pin in that. Put a pin in that because that sounder means it's time for the phrase that pays. 101 ESPN has your chance to win a pair of tickets to see the Cardinals take on the Cubs this Saturday night at Bush. This Saturday, 30,000 fans age 16 or older will take home their very own Paul Goldschmidt bobblehead courtesy of Purina. You can get all the details on this Saturday's Paul Goldschmidt bobblehead giveaway for the Cardinals versus the Cubs now at cardinals.com slash promotions. The first word and the phrase that pays today is absolutely. It's absolutely. We're going to give you two more words throughout the duration of the show, so you want to be sure to listen. When Emily fires that sender at the end of the show, you're going to text in the entire phrase, and you can have your chance to go see the Cardinals take on the Cubs this Saturday night at Bush. But anyway, Curbs, the Cardinals snapped that 17-game winning streak. They fall to the Brewers 4-0 last night. And when Tyler O'Neill and Nolan Arenado and Tommy Edmond and and Yadier Molina again out with that shoulder stiffness aren't playing, heading into that game last night, you knew going against a great team like the Dodgers that it would be a little bit of a challenge for the Cardinals to continue winning 18 games. What did you think about Mike Schilt's decision to sit those guys last night? I think it made all the sense in the world. I think those guys battled so hard. And, and did what they had to do to get you in. And you and I mentioned this a little bit earlier. The pressure, especially those guys felt to lead, to do what they had to do to get them in, uh, was huge. So the fact that they could let the wind out of the sails, blow off some steam, celebrate the fact that they made the playoffs and, and move forward was great. It was 1,000% the right move to do. Uh, rest them up, give them a break. And listen, most most athletes, Michelle, are going to tell you, sometimes that f- the mental the mental break is more important than the physical break. Their bodies are used to doing what they're doing. The the mental break to stay sharp to do what you have to do is is really really is really important there. So um, I, I thought it was a great move and and you know it, it was the right move. You're not worried about the streak. You, you're you're worried about continuing just to keep the vibe going and 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 he did the right thing. Even though Nolan Arnada wasn't in the game last night, he certainly was a storyline during it. It was about 45 minutes ago, and a little breaking news here, but I was him seeing a season ticket holder event tonight, and John Mosellock, the president of baseball operations, said, well, had an interesting uh, conversation, and Mike Schilt's going to put a smile on his face and for others associated with this club, but Nolan Arenado actually walked in under an hour ago to the president of baseball operations office, which is really on the other side of the building here walked into Moe's office and said by the way it's official I'm not opting out and I want to be here long term so Nolan Arnato what a great first year he's had in St. Louis and many more to come oh, you gotta love that and uh, this this fan base as we talked about in the open they have loved them some Nolan Arenado and he's loved being here Danny McAbt announcing Nolan Arenado officially not opting out on the broadcast last night. Derek Gould also had a quote directly from Nolan who said, I'm not opting out. We can put that out there. I will not be opting out. I'll be coming back. That was always the plan. I'm absolutely coming back. I feel like this year has been special in a lot of senses. And Curbs, even though Nolan Arenado had suggested that this was always going to be the plan before when the Cardinals weren't performing well earlier in the season, I think a lot of fans were concerned about that, that that opt 
doubt did exist because Nolan Arnauto has not made, he's not minced words at all about his desire to win. And part of the reason that he wanted to come here, the, the real main reason that he wanted to come to St. Louis is because he felt like he was going to be in a position like he's in now to get to the postseason and have a chance to win. But I'm sure hearing him say those words is putting a lot of Cardinals fans at ease because that was always something that was probably in the back of their minds. I think there's two factors that, that come to mind to me on this, Michelle. One, I believe this before the Cardinals even made the trade. I don't believe that John Mosaylock makes that trade if he even has an inkling or feels that Nolan Arenado is going to opt out. I think they had that address to the point that they felt comfortable giving them a second year of an opt out. Right. So I think there was just enough confidence that that was not going to happen. Because remember, he's got the opt out clause this year and then he's got one for next year, too. Right. OK, so um, I don't think this deal happens if John Mosellock thought he was going to opt out. I don't think in the economics of today, even though what you're seeing, you know, happen, the kind of contracts that you saw Tatis Jr. and, and some others sign. Right. Don't forget, there's a there's a real looming you know, situation with the CBA for baseball at the end of the season, right? And I'm not convinced that this thing isn't going to get really ugly. When you're locked in for the kind of years that he still has and the pay you've got, sometimes a bird in the hand is better than two in the bush. And when that bird in the hand is going to be a $35 million salary next year, even though you're deferring a few million of it, um, I, I think you're in some great shape. So I, me personally, I never felt like the guy wanted to be here so bad. There's no way he's coming on one year and then opting out after. I can't. I just couldn't imagine that scenario happening. I felt the same way, especially as the season went on and you found out just really how badly he wanted to be here. When Adam Wainwright is sharing that Nolan Arenado was texting him yeah. videos of himself taking grounders in the offseason saying, show this to Mo, show this to Mo. This is something that he wanted for a long time. And even when things weren't going well for the Cardinals, he still was in the presence of Yadier Molina and Adam Wainwright, guys who have been through seasons here in St. Louis when things weren't going well that ended up with championships. He's with a guy like Paul Goldschmidt, whose goal is the same. He got out of a situation where he wasn't winning to come to a franchise that was going to put him in that position. I think he looks around and he sees a lot of young talent, whether it's Dylan Carlson or or Tyler O'Neill or a lot of the young pitchers that these Cardinals have, and he thinks that they're going to be primed well for the future. I just couldn't imagine him opting out, even if the Cardinals didn't make the playoffs this season. But this is somebody that wants to win. And not only that, if that opt-out is there... If you're Nolan Arenado and you're coming from a situation in Colorado where the team wasn't aggressive in building a winner around you, don't you think that's kind of a, a weapon you have in your arsenal to almost ensure that you can have that conversation with the front office and make sure that if you are indeed coming back that you know that they're going to go for it? Not that the Cardinals haven't, hadn't given him those indications, but I would imagine just based on the situation that he just got out of, that that would want to be something that he made sure was happening 100% before he made that decision. When you're talking about a scenario that comes to fruition where in the old phrase, if there's smoke, there's fire, there, there was enough smoke for about a year and a half about the Cardinals and the Rockies and this potential trade that, you know, agents are, especially when you're dealing of a player of, of Nolan's caliber. All right. You, you know, agents are intimately involved. The player knows what's going on. And th- this one just had so much to it over over so much time that and, and look, you got to give Cardinal fans a huge piece of the credit here 
the organization is what it's doing. The, the DeWitt, since they took over, have cared about a winning product and put a winning product on this. They've given you good baseball. They've given you some of the best baseball players, quality baseball players that, that the game has to offer in, 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 in the era. And they, they go out and they make the trade for the best third baseman in the game, a, a potential and looking like a future Hall of Famer. They did it again. But that happens because of this market and the love of baseball that happens because he's playing meaningful baseball in September and the stadium sells out. It happens because of the passion that he feels when you go to the plate and this place is going nuts and you've got a, that's a tip of the cap to Cardinal fans sticking with this franchise and how much they love their baseball. And, and we knew what Nolan Arenado was before he came to St. Louis. Obviously, we knew he was one of the best players yep. in baseball. But being able to watch him night in and night out, game after game, and see the defense up close, it's better than you even realize. When you're watching it every day, it's better than you even realize. Some of the plays that he's able to make that are so incredibly difficult, he does with such ease. It's so effortless. Then he comes in and he's hitting 34 home runs. He drives in 105 runs. He's everything you thought he would be and more. And so it's it's great to know that he's enjoyed his time here and that he's going to stay. That's Chris Kerber. I'm Michelle Smallman. Coming up next, the Blues fell to the Blue Jackets last night, five to do five to two. We're going to talk about that game with Chris Kerber. Keep it here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Michelle Smallman is with you. Randy Carriker is on vacation, but we have the voice of the blues here on 101 ESPN. Chris Kerber, you were probably listening to him last night and you were listening to some blues preseason action. The blues did fall to the Columbus Blue Jackets five to two and curves. You were there. You had eyes on the ice as you were calling the game. So there's a couple guys that I want to ask you about and get your observations from them, not only last night, but so far throughout the preseason. Okay, fire. Let's start with Logan Brown. Yes. Really cool moment to see him in the game last night. First off, okay, so his dad plays five years with the Blues. Logan was part of that 2016 draft where five St. Louisans were taken in the first round, and he was taken 11th overall by the Ottawa Senators. You know, he, he Logan was originally born, and, and his dad, of course, is from the Ottawa area. His dad also played up there. It, it just didn't work for him. It, it just didn't click. A six foot six forward, and even the fact that the Ottawa Senators were in a rebuild, there wasn't. It, it things just didn't happen. So the Blues made the trade with Zach Sanford. They, they bring him in. The Blues clear out some salary and, and a potential roster spot, and, and now Logan has a chance. I think he's going to get in a few more games here before it goes to see exactly what he could do. Because the Blues have a hole to fill on the left side, and it looks like it would be on the line with Braden Shen and Pavel Buchnevich. So could Logan Brown be one of those guys? He's got hands. His skating is just, it's okay. It could be better. Um, can he get to the inside? Can he use that body and play with a little more grit? And this is, it's the one knock that in everything I've been in talking to different people saying, if yeah, you'd like to have a little more fire in him. I don't know if that can be coached. So we don't know if he has it. And I don't know him well enough to say it's in there and we just haven't seen it mm-hmm. yet. But I thought for the most part, but the fact that they, they played him with some good players like Ivan Barbashev last night, uh, his first game putting on the blue note had to be a really cool moment I'm for sure. him, even if it's a preseason game. And and all that scenario, I thought all in all he played a pretty solid, good game. I wouldn't read 
too much into it. Let's see now what happens is once we see him in another game or two and how that goes as he gets used to these guys. But I thought, for the most part, a, a pretty good performance by Logan Brown. What about Clem Costin? He's someone that a lot of people are wondering about what type of opportunity he might get. He had 40, or excuse me, 18 points in 43 games with the KHL last season. Yeah. So what are you seeing out of Costin? Not enough yet. I... You know, after spending, look, when he first came over, he came over as an 18-year-old to play in the American League, and you could do that as a European player. You cannot do that uh, per the rules as a North American player. That protects the junior leagues. I don't, and and the other thing I want to say about Clem Costin, Michelle, is I, I don't know what the expectations truly should be. I know the Blues drafted him in the first round, but it was with the 31st pick. Mm-hmm. We know he had a shoulder injury at the time. It was a gamble of a pick. It was one where they'd already take had a pick in the first round. They get that they get the pick from remember they got Oscar Sundquist in that trade with Ryan Reeves for Ryan Reeves and that first round pick. So you've already that trade has already worked out tenfold with with what Oscar Sundquist has become, you know. So the Clint Costin pick was a gamble pick. If it works out, he's got some high-end ability. If it doesn't, that's okay. And I think, I don't know if he settles into what could be a third-line role or what. I thought last night would have been a better opportunity to see a little more physicality. And we saw some speed out of him. We saw his willingness to bang. I I don't think we saw as much of the puck-handling ability last night as we could see. So I think there's, again, there's an opportunity for one of these guys to break camp with this club. And... And I think you want to still see a little bit more out of Clem Costin to do it. I think you want to see some of that fire in the belly that you did see when he was playing in San Antonio. Some of the grit, some of the toughness that, that he showed down there. And and I'd like to see a little bit more from him than we saw last night. I thought I thought he, he had a game where sometimes, you know, when players have it, where you fight the puck a little bit. And I thought last night he fought the puck. I wanted to ask you finally about Robert Thomas, who's one of the Blues' best young players. There's a lot of expectations placed on Robert Thomas. He got signed to that two-year deal two days before the start of training camp. So what are you looking for in Robert Thomas so far this preseason? I thought Robert Thomas has looked pretty good. He's skating well. He's in good shape um, in in the couple games now that we have seen him. I I think one area that we're going to have to see some real improvement in Robert Thomas is going to be in face-off wins. You know, now last year he dealt with the hand injury, a lot of pressure on it, so you can kind of understand that. But so far through three years, he's got a career faceoff win percentage around forty-four percent. If you're going to play in a top six role in the NHL, that's got to get better. That is going to have to get higher. Now, the other thing about Thomas in his first couple of years is he's had some good chemistry. He's played with Tyler Bozak, but Tyler Bozak is a good player, a good offensive player, but not overly offensive skilled, you know, like a, like a David Perron, for example. Okay. Um, and, and then he had Pat Maroon on the one side, the other, I, I thought, you know, the opportunity for him now to play with a Brandon sod and, and then Vladimir Tarasenko now on the other is, is going to show him a different, uh, a different group of guys that can shoot. And I really think from what we've seen early, you can right now, Put your prop bet in that Brandon Saad will score 20 goals this season for the St. Louis Blues if he plays with Robert Thomas. Really? I really do believe that. I, he's a shooter. He's a goal scorer. And Thomas has the pay. Everybody, and he, I, I talked to some of, some of the scouts last night, everybody wants to see Robert Thomas shoot some more. I, I don't know if it's in him. I honest to God, I don't know if it's in him. It's sort of like you want to see Colton Pareko unload that slap shot. Oh, I just yeah. don't know if it's going to happen all the time, right? Robert Thomas had a play where – the teammates behind him were changing. He skates in. He's in the slot 
three Columbus Blue Jackets come around him. And I'd say 98% of the players in the National Hockey League are going to push the puck into the corner and then bang for it, or they're going to shoot it on net, maybe get a whistle, the new line comes out. Robert kept the puck. He goes behind the net. He shields the puck from two guys trying to take it. And in that amount of time, Hugh McGing, and, and I forget the other player that came on at the time, are able to get from the bench all the way into the offensive zone and right in front of the net. Robert pulls it between the two defenders trying to take it from him, passes, bam, it's in the net. And you're sitting there thinking, that's where you'd really like to see Robert Thomas shoot the puck. And yet you're going, but then Robert was Robert. And the playmaker held on to the puck, and you got a goal. So rather than just a, a, a backhanded shot that wasn't going to have much on it that goes into the belly of the goalie, you now created a scoring chance from it. And so the, the benefit that he's going to have, I think, the rest of this preseason playing with those kind of skilled players, I, I think is going to be a, a, a difference maker for him and, and could be a huge, huge help to, to the development of Higgs. His, this is a really important season for Robert Thomas. That's the voice of the Blues, Chris Kerber, here on 101 ESPN. We're going to talk a little bit more Blues hockey at the bottom of the hour with our 101 ESPN Blues insider, Jeremy Rutherford. But coming up next, it's time for the fight. Keep it here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Welcome to the fight on Character and Smallman. In the red corner, average Joe listener. And in the blue corner, the undisputed king of Morning Drive. Please welcome Randy Character. It's fight time on Carragher and Smallman here on 101 ESPN. It is 8.33. That time check is brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Chris Kerber is in for Randy Carriker today, so he will be filling the role of Megamind on the show. Now, Kerbs did the fight earlier in the week. He got three of four correct, and he knew the answer to number four, but he talked himself out of it. So he really does do a very good Megamind. And Tim is going to be his competition today. Good morning, Tim. How are you? Good. How are you guys doing today? We're doing great. Are you ready to take on Chris Kerber in the fight? Oh, yeah. I've been ready. All right. You've been ready. I love it. Well, here you go. Question number... What are you doing, Tim? What is going on in the background? Oh, I'm turning I'm me at work. Getting ready to go to break. So, just so... I can talk, so it's all good. All right, cool. Just wanted to make sure you weren't in an emergency-type situation back then. No. All right, good, Tim. Uh, well, Emily, can you just, during this, pot him down so that people can hear? All right, question number one for you, Tim. The Cardinal streak was filled with production from many young players. What Cardinal made his Major League debut at the age of 17? Was it Tim McCarver, Ted Simmons, or Rick Ankeel? I want to say... Uh, I'm going to go with Ted Simmons. Okay. Also, really quickly, Emily, you can let everyone know where these questions came from because this is a special edition of the fight. I had these submitted to me by a listener, Nate. So shout out, Nate, for these questions. Yeah. And since I'm having to run the board, Michelle, do you mind reading all four of these? Yes, no worries. Thank I will you. go ahead and do this. Tim, question number two for you. What Cardinals pitching duo each had 17 or more wins in the same season? Was it Michael Waka and Carlos Martinez, Lance Lynn and Kyle Loesch, or Adam Wainwright and Chris Carpenter? I'm going to say 
the C, Chris Carpenter and Adam Wainwright. All right. Question number three for you. And again, these were questions that were submitted to Emily by Nate, who is our listener. So shout out to Nate. Question number three. The Cardinals retired Dizzy Dean's number 17 in 1974. Who was the last player to wear number 17 in a Cardinals uniform? Was it Tommy Cruz, Carl Warwick, or Vinegar Ben Mizell? I'm going to go with uh, D. Excuse me, which one? D. Carl Warwick? Yeah, Carl Warwick. You got it. And finally, question number four. Who was the last Cardinal to finish their season with exactly 17 home runs? Was it Paul DeYoung, Jose Martinez, or Yadier Molina? I'm going to go with Yadi. Yadi. Okay. Checking our score here from Emily. We're waving curbs in. He's in the cone of silence and he's chatting. And I see the theme here on number 17 in honor of the Cardinal 17 game win streak. So shout out to Nate for the theme. Yep. Nate did a great job. Oh, thank you. All right, curbs. Please say good morning to Tim, who's going to be your challenger today. Hi, Tim. How are you? I'm good, Curbs. How you doing? I am hanging in there, and uh, good good luck to you. This I, I I hope this turns out well for you. I think the chances are good. Well, good luck. <laughs> All right, Curbs. Are you ready? I am. You know, I, you know, I lose sleep over this night before we host because you know me and trivia. Why do you think I have you do this? I uh, know. So you know, I like to see me sweat. All right. It's Fire. very nerve-wracking to do this. It is. It is. All right, Curbs, just some context. These questions were submitted to Emily by one of our listeners, Nate, and they are all 17-themed in honor of the Cardinals' 17-game win streak. Oh, boy. Okay. All right. Here we go. And Curbs does get the options, right? right. You want the options? Well, let's ask the question, then I'll see if we need it. All right. That sounds fair. Okay. Question number one for you, Chris Kerber. The Cardinals' streak was filled with production from many young players. What Cardinal made his Major League Baseball debut at the age of 17? Ooh, we had a Cardinal that made his Major League debut at the age of 17. I almost feel that that's got like a Dizzy or Daffy Dean kind of thing written all over. But go ahead. Give me the options. Tim McCarver, Ted Simmons, Rick Ankiel. Uh, Tim McCarver. Question number two. What Cardinals pitching duo each had 17 or more wins in the same season? Cardinals pitching duo. This is in the history of the franchise, right? Correct. What Cardinals pitching duo each Um, had 17 or more wins in the same season? Did Carpen Wayno do it? Um, You know what? I'm going to go with that one without the options just to be fair to Tim on how the fight should work if Randy was sitting in here. So I'm going to say Carpen Wayno. Question number three. The Cardinals retired Dizzy Dean's number 17 in 1974. Who was the last player to wear number 17 in a Cardinals uniform? Whoa. I have no idea. Give <laughs> me the one, options. This is what is tough. Yeah. Is it Tommy Cruz? Is it Carl Warwick? Or is it Vinegar Ben Mizell? <laughs> Which is an unbelievable name. Um, you know what? Old Just, Vinegar Ben Mizell. Listen, 
John Kelly's daughter loves uh, the the white vinegar you get up in Canada. So every now and then in Calgary, they serve it in little ketchup pouches and oh, stuff. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. we will actually put it in our pocket so he could bring it home to his daughter, Grace. It's actually so a in, sneaky great way to eat fries, malt vinegar. Absolutely. So in honor of that, and because I have absolutely no idea, it's sort of like picking a horse uh, in a race sometimes, I'll go with the vinegar guy. Vinegar Ben Mizell? That guy. <laughs> yeah. That actually is an unbelievable horse name. Doesn't that sound like a horse that vinegar won the Kentucky? Or vinegar Ben Mizell. V- vinegar Ben. Period. Vinegar, vinegar Ben yeah. is a good horse name, but Vinegar Ben Mizell is an unbelievable name. I take it. Yep. All right. Final question for you, Curbs. Who was the last Cardinal to finish their season with exactly 17 home runs? Uh, oh. Well, that could have been somebody recently. Um, <laughs> man, I have. Could I. Have, have. I uh, go ahead. Give me the nubs. I have no idea. Paul DeYoung, Jose Martinez, Yadier Molina. Uh, I think Jose Martinez hit a few more than that, so I, I I'll I'll back off of him. Um It feels like a Yachty thing. I'll go Yachty or Molina. Yachty or Molina is Chris Kerber's final answer. Who won the fight today? Was it Kerbs or was it Tim? Emily, ring the bell. The winner and still champion of the fight, Randy Carricker. The fight sponsored by Ryan Kelly and HeroLoan.com. Check out how they help veterans and service members at the new and improved HeroLoan.com. Sorry, Tim. That just means I guessed well. I feel bad when I win this thing. Don't feel badly. You are filling in for Randy, so you have a reputation to uphold. Uh, I apologize. And okay. and Randy would be playing All I Do Is Win, Just Win Baby. <laughs> he would be kissing the sky. This is what Randy does. Uh. I'm sorry, Tim. Curbs did beat you two to one, though. It was a close fight today, two to one. These questions from Nate were pretty difficult. So the Cardinal that made his major league debut at the age of 17 was Tim McCarver. The Cardinals pitching duo that each had 17 or more wins in the same season was Adam Wainwright and Chris Carpenter. It was in 2009. Wayno and Carp combined for 36 wins and 12 losses. The last player to wear number 17 in a Cardinals uniform is Tommy Cruz. He wore number 17 in 1973, not Vinegar Ben Mizell. Who was the the fun? fun. Did he wear number 17? Do we know that? Or is that just to pick the name? Say that again. Sorry. Eh, I don't worry about it. It doesn't matter. I was just uh, just saying, do we know if Vinegar Ben Mizell wore 17? I don't think he did. I got to look at the guy. I don't know. I got to look. Okay. Let's ask Siri. Who was the last Cardinal to finish? text me. Nate, send me a DM, whatever you did. What's up, Nate? Let us know. Or Google. Who was the last Cardinal to finish their season with exactly 17 home runs? And that would be one, Jose Martinez. It was. I was wrong. It was Jose Martinez, who... I miss Jose Martinez's energy. He was so fun, dancing, always smiling. He was a fun player to have here in St. Louis. So I'm sorry, Tim. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks for playing. Have a great day and stay safe wherever you are. It sounds a little chaotic. Thanks, guys. Have a great day. All right. Cheers, Tim. So you couldn't hear this because you were in the cone of silence, but there was a lot of commotion going on wherever Tim was. There was a lot of beeping. He was at work. He was working some construction equipment. He was at at work, but I was concerned for his well-being. It sounded like something (laughs) was coming up behind him. Avoid things falling from the sky. (laughs) Okay, how did we do? Did, I, I had him in we my right ear and I couldn't even think straight. Sorry. No, that's all good. That's all good. Well, congratulations, Curbs. You won the fight. I believe you're undefeated this week. No, because I lost. Uh, with you the lost guy made Monday. The Hall of Fame, that's and right. And then we beat him the second day. That is right. That's right. And we, we lost Monday in overtime. It was close, but we lost, doing we a lost great Monday job. in overtime, yeah. <laughs> 
That sounder means the time for another word in the phrase that pays. 101 ESPN has your chance to win a pair of tickets to see the Cardinals take on the Cubs this Saturday night at Bush. 30,000 fans age 16 or older are going to take home their very own Paul Goldschmidt bobblehead courtesy of Purina. You can get all the details for this Saturday's game and the bobblehead giveaway for the Cardinals versus the Cubs right now at cardinals.com slash promotions. The second word in the phrase that pays is coming. It is coming. Coming up next... See that transition there? Coming up next, we are going to head to the Browning Group and Celebrity Line and talk a little blues hockey with Jeremy Rutherford. So keep it here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. It's time for the Rutherford Report on 101 ESPN. Anything you folks want to know about the fascinating world of pro hockey, here we go. Smallman on 101 ESPN. Michelle Smallman and Chris Kerber hanging out with you this morning. Let's head to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line. We welcome in our Blues insider from the Athletic, Jeremy Rutherford, who joins us now to talk a little Blues hockey after the Blues fall. Oh, wait. <laughs> JR, I'm sure you're hearing your, your walk-up song, your pregame jam, as Emily just introduced us in. Oh, so weedy. For those who don't know what we're talking about, JR sat in yesterday, Curbs, you might not have heard this, and um, he tells me right before we go on air that on the way in, he listened to this Sweetie song to get him uh. pumped up for the show. So I told him this was going to be his intro song from now on. So I'm You just should have it intro in. music, man. You, that's, that, that's, hey, here's another thing I just learned. Okay. So you hate mayonnaise? Oh, what? yeah. What? Like, are, like how did... Are you a Miracle Whip guy? Okay, Miracle Whip is not mayonnaise. Just wondering. That's a, it's a salad dressing, right? It's, it's better, I think. Okay, b- b- like if you're eating a turkey sandwich, Miracle Whip is better than mayo. Okay, uh, that's that 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 is totally like turkeys. Is it a mayonnaise or is it a mustard? We don't we don't know. But but how do you like like people like? There's no middle ground when it comes to mayonnaise, is there? Like it's no. either I like it or I love it or I hate it. Hate it, hate it. Not a mayonnaise guy, not a mustard guy, not a ranch guy. And it's so weird because everybody that I uh, have lunch or dinner with, they say, I've never seen a big guy so picky. I was, geez, you can't steal my line before I can throw it out there. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I can't believe you don't like ranch, Jared. That's unbelievable. Uh, Be sure to follow Jeremy Rutherford on Twitter at JP Rutherford. He's got so many great nuggets of information. And, of course, read all of his work at The Athletic. And, JR, you have a great piece that drops this morning, some Blues training camp observations. And you start off the piece talking about Scott Perunovich. So tell us what some of your observations have been of Scott Perunovich thus far. Yeah, Michelle, just this guy can really play as Kirk seen in camp, too. Um, you're talking about a guy who's 5'9 and probably, you know, 180 pounds uh, soaking wet. Uh, but he can play today's NHL game, and that's a skating game. That's a getting the puck out of the zone game. He can control the pace, and that's what he's done so far. And, and I've touched on this before, but what's most impressive to me is the guy hasn't played hockey in 18 months. Everybody went through the pandemic. There were leagues canceled, lots of tournaments, everything canceled. This guy then had a shoulder surgery and didn't play for another nine months or so uh, so for him to step into camp and pick up like he's a Hobie Baker winner from a, a couple of years ago is just phenomenal and the thing about Scott Perunovich you have to you have to put a couple things in place one Doug Armstrong clearly likes kind of the bigger defenseman right so he's got to, he's got to show himself in, in a way that shows that, that he can that he can handle things there my the interesting part to me is really kind of a race or a, a battle between him and 
and Jake Wallman. Because I think Nico Mikola should be should be on the roster. I think he's done about all he can in the American Hockey League. From that matter, probably Jake Wallman should too. But I think with Nico Mikola is ready to learn now the NHL game and go from there. I, I tend to think, Jeremy, and tell me if you agree or disagree with this, that the confidence of what we saw in the 30 games from Jake Wallman last year we're seeing that already this year and jake had an okay game last night wasn't wasn't great but uh, to me that almost gives jake a slight edge where if perunovich needs to play in springfield for a little while that will be okay to get some of the pace and timing of the game down because he hasn't played for so long yeah i think you nailed it i think nicola and bortuzzo are going to be on the roster and then like you said it comes down to wallman versus perunovich and Jake Wallman took a step last year. That was a positive step in, in his career, the first one. And I think to send him back to Springfield probably stalls him. He and or Bortuzzo, I think, can sit as your seventh guy and, and throw Mikula in there, too. So that kind of a revolving door uh, with those three, perhaps. And Perinovich, you know, I don't think you stall him necessarily if you send him to Springfield and get some games. So just the way it works out in terms of who needs to play, who can sit, and with the situation with Jake Wallman, I think that uh, you need to keep him up on this roster to keep that progress going. Jeremy Rutherford, our Blues insider at The Athletic, joining us here on 101 ESPN. And JR, heading into this season, one of the areas of need for the Blues was to find somebody that could go to the net, that could have that net front presence. Do you think that Pavel Buchnevich could be that guy, help solve that issue for the Blues? Yeah, I think so. And we listened to Tory Kirk a couple of days ago, and he played against him, you know, Boston. Uh, versus the New York Rangers in the Eastern Conference, and he said he was always a guy that went to the net, had a lot of trouble with uh, Buchnevich. He said he's definitely not a, a perimeter player, and so I think we've seen that a little bit in camp. And then also on the power play, the Blues have lacked that net front presence on the PP, and we saw Buchnevich score a goal in front the other night on a pass from uh, Braden Chen. He was on the number two unit with the New York Rangers, got about two minutes of ice time per game on the power play. Uh, I don't know that he'd make the, the, the number one unit with the Blues, but perhaps they could work him in there but definitely it looks like they're going to park him in front of the net, both on the power play, and he's going to get there himself five on five. And he's going to be playing in a in a more structured game, a team that plays, I think, a, a, a more mature system because of the talent level they have and the, and the winning pedigree of some of these guys. And that is going to help him along because he's going to come in and be able to do certain things, I think, that are different. And in talking to Ivan Barbashev, who was a teammate with him uh, of his years ago, and in talking to a couple people from the New York Rangers organization too, um, teammates and players really, really like playing with him. And, and that's, the, I think, the chemistry of that because of the nature of his personality is going to really help him along here quickly. Yeah, and, and the personality curves is what I'm looking forward to seeing because when I interviewed uh, his former coach with the Rangers, uh, Dan Quinn, he said that uh, he, he gets after it. He's involved in, in everything. And we're not talking just about scrums and you know after-the-whistle type stuff, but just getting involved. And I think the Blues have lacked that. So to get some personality on the ice in this lineup, I think would be real good for the team. I saw something in last night's game that I absolutely loved. And that was that was Dakota Joshua's line. If there was a scrum in front of the net and the goalie covered it up because Tarasov was on his game. Taras, despite the fact that the Blues were trailing three nothing in that game, they had some scoring chances. And that Daniil Tarasov, a thirty year old goaltender for the Blue Jackets, played well. I love the fact that those guys just tried to stir it up a little bit. Some gloves in the face, a little nastiness. And I know Dakota Joshua had the fight, but but it was a little bit more than that. They, they played with a little bit of an edge, and I think that that was something that was 
was visibly lacking from last year's games for the St. Louis Blues, that if, whether it be through Joshua, Clifford, whoever they put on that line, whoever plays that role, I, I, th- I think that edge could be back for this year's team, which is important. Yeah, it's interesting. And let's go back a week to the Traverse City tournament. That's the NHL Prospects tournament. The Blues sent their young guys up there. And those guys were involved. They were physical. They were in the scrums after the whistle. And if you heard the announcers, and some of those announcers, you know, they've known the Blues' reputation over the years. They said, wow, these prospects are going to fit in uh, well with what the Blues do. But I don't think that's what the Blues have done the past couple of years. I think they've gotten away from that uh, with a, a little bit of edge. So it looks like you, you talk about a couple of new Newcomers in uh, Buchnevich, uh, you know, Saad probably doesn't have that type of reputation, but he's a big body. He can get involved. And then you have a Dakota Joshua if he makes this roster. Then you got some of these young guys that we're talking about from the Prospects tournament. You know, I think that's something that needs to be restored with this roster. And it looks like they've got some parts uh, that are capable of doing that. Jr. a name that Blue Sands have been intrigued by for quite some time is Clem Costin, especially after um, his performance in the KHL. Give us a read on what you've been seeing out of Clem Costin so far. Yeah, Michelle, I think he's just been okay. Uh, I think he's been safe. You know, I don't see any egregious mistakes, but at the same time, I don't see a guy who has a very good chance of making the roster for the first time. A guy who went over to the KHL, won a championship, you know, matured his game, was really a force for that avant-garde team in the KHL, and then came over here and said, "I, you know, I'm going to leave it all out there, and there's no way I'm not making this team. I just haven't seen that. And so we asked Craig Berube about him yesterday, and he said he's been fine. Uh, the one thing is he can't complicate the game. We can't have him complicating things. And I can go back and remember Mike Yo saying the same thing. So it seems to be a that's on Clem Costin. So, you know, I'm not saying he's not going to make this team as a 13th or 14th forward. You know, I just have a little bit of concern. You send a guy like him back to the AHL where he thinks his career is going to go and whether he wants to stick around. Great information from Jeremy Rutherford. Be sure to read his Blues training camp observations at The Athletic and, of course, follow him on Twitter at JP Rutherford. Thanks so much, Cher. We'll talk to you next week. Okay, thanks a lot. See you. All right, that's Jeremy Rutherford here on 101 ESPN. But coming up next, the far, the Cardinals snapped their 17-game winning streak. They fell to the Brewers 4 to nothing last night. We're going to hear from you about the role that you want to see Jack Flaherty assume if he's on the postseason roster. We're going to talk about that next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Chris Kerber sitting in for Randy Carriker today. I'm Michelle Smallman, and the streak is over, Kerbs. The Cardinals snap a 17-game winning streak. They lost to the Brewers 4-0 last night. You kind of felt it coming when oh, yeah. you saw some of the, the hottest guys on the team, the regulars who had been on fire, Tyler O'Neill, Nolan Arenado, Tommy Edmond out last night. Yadier Molina also mi- missing his second consecutive game with that right shoulder stiffness. And don't cry because it's over. Smile because it happened, right? Uh, well, every good thing's going to come to an end, so absolutely. Now, a fan texted this in, and I can actually understand this. I guess they took their grandson to a game, and it's their last game that they go of the year, and they were kind of disappointed because the team looked flat and all that other stuff. And and I get it. I can understand a disappointment if you're if, in that situation, but you have to know that when you're going to a live sporting event, that could happen in any way, shape, or That could have happened in game 12 of this streak. It could have happened in game two. It, that could just happen. But knowing that they had won 17 in a row, knowing that they had clinched, and knowing that they partied it up and so 
celebrated going into the into the playoffs. You had to expect that kind of a game. And one interesting development from the game last night was that Jack Flaherty made an appearance out of the bullpen. He had one inning of work, one hit, one strikeout, one walk. And it's great to have Jack Flaherty back in any sort of role. I think the Cardinals are kind of testing the waters to see if he could potentially be a setup guy for them down the stretch. And Mike Schilt was asked last night about Jack Flaherty's health and a potential role that he could assume during the postseason. We're in the balancing act there and we're going to, you know, continue to figure out what that looks like. And we're not going to. We're not going to push to push, you know. We're going to we're going to you know pitch him when he feels good and feels um, confident. We're going to give him the opportunity to go out and compete, but we also recognize that you know we're about to head into a postseason, and and um, you know it's not a it's it's a time to you know obviously put put the guys out there that can help us the most. Jack is clearly a guy that can help us, um, but we, we got to make sure we are carrying our, our, our group that you know don't have a lot of limitations in that in that setting a lot of tentacles to dissect in that one response from mike schilt because if jack is healthy you know what a weapon he is and any sort of role that you can have him but it is a delicate tightrope that you're walking here if you're the cardinals because as tempting as it is to use jack flaherty if you can you also don't want to push him to push him and potentially Reaggravate an injury or put him in a position where he's not 100% and he might not have success. But the temptation is there. You know that he certainly wants to compete and be out there with his teammates in the postseason. So it is a, a really delicate balance that they're trying to figure out right now. Interestingly enough, the Cardinals have actually lost five of the last seven games in which he's pitched. Um, now, some of those go back to August before that that other injury happened that took him out of the rotation and clearly before the Cardinals had this aha renaissance moment and and turned things around but if you look at his last 3 outings when he has when when he has pitched obviously the one where where he got injured and there was only two innings there he comes in and and starts gets a third of of, of an inning in right the next one ends up pitching one full inning. There's not much to there. He pitched 19 pitches in the in the one. He's pitched 17 in the other. I mean, you're talking about a scenario where he hasn't thrown more than 46 pitches in a game since October 18th, or, or August 18th, rather. Um, also, interestingly enough about Jack Flair, he's even at his greatest start as he had at the beginning of the season. He only went beyond six innings one time. You know, and so I think Mike... And again, you have to really have to separate the beginning of the year with, with the differences in team play and all that stuff. I, I think Mike, Mike, you and I touched on this a little earlier in the show. Two things are going on. Mike Schilt is trying to figure out where can you have the most confidence in putting him in. So where can you get the be- the benefit of him? Is it a high leverage situation? Is it coming in in the playoffs when you got to pull your starting pitcher after four innings? Can he get you through the fifth and the sixth? Get you into your bullpen, you know, where, where guys have defined their roles? And then the second key part is where is Jack's mental state in terms of ready to come into those situations and getting comfortable there and you've got a few more games to try and figure this out let's get to some of your response what role do you want to see jack flaherty in in the postseason do you put him on the postseason roster this from the 636 curbs the shorter the series the more likely i am to put jack on the roster the longer the series the more innings he has to be able to give i don't need a spot reliever who can only give me four innings in a seven game series and i think mike schilt touched on that a little bit in his comments there that they want to make sure that they have guys who they know can contribute for them in any way, shape, or form, in any capacity to be on that postseason roster. Well, I'll tell you what, though. 
This is where I, I would disagree with, with the texture on, on this one. The Cardinals pitching staff was just good enough to roll through some really good teams and get you a 17-game winning streak. I know there were some bad teams. In there. And yeah, okay, well, how do you, cons- do you consider the Padres a good team or a bad team? I don't know. I guess right now they're not playing well. But they should be a good team. Sure. All right. They definitely um, should. Okay, so... But if you're in a if you're in a one game playoff situation, so which they're going to be next Wednesday, all right, and Jack Flaherty, you need Jack Flaherty to come in with his stuff to pitch to say one guy. And we need you to get one out, right? And I think just the fact of Jack Flaherty coming to the mound, that batter knowing what this guy is capable of could be a bit of a mental advantage there if he is if you are confident then he could get you a key out or two key outs in a one game situation i'm putting them on the roster i think this text is interesting from the 636 jack flaherty should be left off the roster why mess with the chemistry now the cardinals have have set a historical record without him i think that's a, a pretty good point during this run here it's not as if any point during those 17 games, and obviously we saw Jack Flaherty for a bit during this stretch, a very short amount of time at Wrigley, but you always miss an arm like Jack Flaherty when he's healthy and when he's a starter for you, but I don't think there were a lot of people clamoring for Jack Flaherty to be used out of the bullpen as a setup guy during the streak, and the Cardinals certainly seem to be rolling right now. I don't know if that's a, an equation you want to disrupt. Adam Wainwright on Carlos Beltran. That's all I keep thinking about here with with Jack Flaherty, right? Can can you come in and get and get a strikeout? Can you come in and get a key out? Can you come in and make the key pitch because you're Jack Flaherty? Because you're that guy. You know, and and look, organizationally, I actually really believe in this too. If he's healthy enough to pitch, the guy who started the season as your ace, Adam Wainwright became the ace. Uh to, He's on your roster. If he's going to be your go-to guy for the future, too, this guy is on my roster if he can't pitch. Organizationally, everything involved, he's on my roster. He's part of this team for a long time. He's going to become, you hope he becomes, your soon-to-be Chris Carpenter, Adam Wainwright, whatever it may be. He's in those situations, and he, I mean, again, if he can get you one or two key outs, the fact that he's Jack Flaherty going to the mound, I've got a mental advantage sometimes. I like it. Let's get to a Rhino Shield mic drop on the mic drop feature on the 101 ESPN app. Tim is with us here on 101 ESPN. The way I'd use Jack Flaherty in the playoffs is I'd put him in the bullpen, obviously, and use him like Mick Matheny used Adam Wainwright back in 2015 when he was coming off that Achilles injury. Um, I remember game four against the Cubs when we were down in like the third or fourth inning, Wainwright came in. And kind of stopped and stopped Chicago from scoring, and was gave us a chance to come back, which unfortunately we didn't. So that's how I'd use Jack Flaherty, let him come back in in the third or fourth inning if we're down, and give us a chance for our offense to come back and win the ball game. But if we're thinking about Cardinals pitching situations in the postseason where there was a lights out pitcher who happened to be injured and hadn't necessarily pitched a lot going into the postseason and was used in a situation, does your mind not immediately jump to Michael Walker? It does. It, and that gives me yes. that gives me a little trepidation here. And I know every player is different. Every injury is different. Every situation is different. But I just don't want to mess with Jack Flaherty's future. If he's not 
as Mike Schultz said, I don't want to push to push. I don't want to put him in a position where he could exert himself and potentially injure himself further and in any way tamper his chances of being ready to go next season. And I also certainly, if I don't think he has his stuff 100%, want to put him or the team in a, in a situation where he's not going to have success on the mound. So Texture texted in, Wayne wasn't a starter in 06 curves. I know that. That's why I referenced him striking out Beltran as a reliever. That's what we're talking about here. Keep up with the class here, folks. <laughs> They like it, it, a starter could come in. A guy that is used to starting can come in and be impactful for you if you need him in there. Now you brought up something very interesting there, Michelle, and that's a different situation though. If they don't think he's got his stuff, that's the different beast. If they're going to put him in a couple of games here to determine whether or not they think he's got his stuff enough. That's a different story then. We're still trying to figure out then is he healthy enough to get you, you know. But then again, does does do you need Jack Flaherty max effort here? Can Jack Flaherty at 90% be better in certain situations? But I completely agree with you. If you don't think he's healthy enough or think that by putting him in there, he could re-injure something, you don't take that chance right now with him. At that point, though, he's done for the rest of the year, and you just make that statement and move on to next year. Let's get to Richard with a mic drop here on 101 ESPN. I would definitely carry him in the playoffs because he could definitely be used as a bridge if one of the starters messes up to get to your relievers. And I know they don't want to push him, but being in the physical therapy world, and if something were to go wrong with his oblique, that's much more manageable. Now, if he was dealing with some sort of shoulder or elbow injury, I would say definitely not carry him. It's not worth the risk. But in this situation, if something were to happen, he'd have the entire offseason to rehab, and I believe he'd be good to go next year. So it's definitely worth it if he's going to help the team. I think to piggyback off that, speaking of piggybacking, the 618 says Jack needs to be the piggyback guy. Michaelis and Hap have the potential to blow up in a start and having Jack there to step in and go two to three innings to go get the back end, or excuse me, to get to the back end, guys, is invaluable. There's nothing but so far with a few games to go, there is nothing to tell us that he could go three innings right now. the, the, The first appearance was 19 pitches. The last one was 17 pitches. All right. I'm not sure I've seen anything, and this is what, I mean, this is where Greg Greg Amsinger touched on this, okay? The Cardinals know a lot more than we do. We are just speculating here, okay? They know exactly where he is at, but there has been nothing that we have seen in a game yet that makes you say he's ready to go and give you three solid innings in a row. Nothing has shown that, at least from a game stand. Maybe we see that before the end of the year. I don't know. But until we see that, like, let's say he comes, Michelle, let's say he comes out in in one or two more games and only goes one inning in each of those games. Would you feel confident that he all of a sudden he could just give you three innings in a playoff game? Not 100 percent. Yeah. And that's 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 part of the challenge. That's right. That's Chris Kerber. I'm Michelle Smallman. We're going to get to more of your texts and mic drops on Jack Flaherty later in the show. But coming up next, we are going to go to Columbia, Missouri. We're going to talk to Harrison Mevis. He is Mizzou's outstanding kicker. The thicker kicker, as they call him, is coming up next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Welcome back to Carriker and Smallman here on 101 ESPN. And let's head to the Brown and Group and Celebrity Line. I'm really excited about this conversation. And let's welcome in Mizzou kicker Harrison Mevis. Harrison, thanks so much for taking the time to join us, join us this morning. How are you doing? 
I'm doing really well. Thanks for having me. Of course. Well, let's start here. I want to talk to you about this past weekend. And you're you're down three with three seconds remaining on the clock. You're forced to kick a 56-yard field goal in order to tie the game in regulation. And what's that moment like for you? Were you feeling a lot of pressure? You, you've hit some big kicks and some big pressure moments before, but take us back to that moment. Oh, yeah. I, I think uh, they scored with about what, 25 seconds left. Um, Obviously, I kind of knew that I had to be ready for, you know, any type of situation that could come up. So uh, I believe I started off, once after they scored, I went and kicked, um, you know, I think three really hard just kicks into the net just to get my mind ready because I don't, you know, you never never know what's coming up. Um, But uh, when we got into the, it was, I believe we were getting ready to go out for a 61-yarder and then, I think we had a timeout, and they decided to get a few more yards, thankfully, for me to make it easier on me. Um, and we went out and kicked the 56. And uh, Honestly, I didn't hit it as well as I wanted to, but it got the job done, and you know, I got three points for my team, which was much needed to send it to overtime. So. Absolutely. You had a you had a huge game. You went two for two on field goals, four for four on extra points that day, extending your season record, five for five, 20 for 20. And you you hit that 56-yard field goal. Obviously, you practice stuff like this. What's the longest kick that you've made, whether it's in regulation, an actual game action, or in practice? Um, in practice, I've gone back to, I, I believe, 70 is about as far as I've gone in practice. That's with wind on my back. Um, in game, I, 56 is my longest. Um, and so that was, but yeah, that's, yeah, 56 was the longest in game. So, awesome. Well, unfortunately, that wasn't enough. You guys end up losing to Boston College, 41 to 34 in overtime. That was a tough game. What's the response been like from your team, though, in practice this week? Um, you know, it's been really quiet in the locker room, and I think, um, just I think that kind of shows that it means a lot to everyone that we we all really wanted to win that game. Um, and you know, I think. How we respond is really important, and so I think everyone knows that, and you can tell with the quietness in the locker room. And so we're just going to stay together, and we're going to stay the course. Uh, we understand that those games, it came down to one, uh, like you know one possession, and you know we're we're close, so um, we understand that, and we're we're going to just go out and take it one week at a time. Harrison Mevis, Mizzou kicker, joining us here on 101 ESPN. And Harrison, I have to tell you, I think you might have my favorite nickname in all of sports, the Thicker Kicker. Can you tell me where you got that? Who dubbed you the Thicker Kicker? Honestly, I, I don't know. It just started out, it kind of started as a team thing and like like a teammate thing, and it kind of just spread. So honestly, I don't, I, I can't exactly, you know, it was just kind of the team came up with it, so. Well, I see that you're selling shirts, the th- the thicker kicker on Instagram. Have you seen a lot of people around campus wearing those? Um, there's been a few. There's <laughs> been a few. Probably not as many as I would like, but you know we're getting there. So, well, what do you think that your body type helps you at all with your kicking motion? Because I would imagine you have a really strong foundation. Yeah, I mean, me being a bigger guy, I think I'm, I'm able to put a lot through the ball. Um, I'm still, I'm still able to work on, you know, my flexibility. I feel like I'm still pretty flexible with having, you know, being a bigger guy. 
you see guys in the league, you know, Sebastian Janikowski, he had one of the biggest legs in his generation as a kicker. Um, you got you still got guys like Randy Bullock, who are the Tennessee Titans, just hit a game game winner uh, the other day. He's a bigger guy. You got you know, you still have bigger guys in the league and I, I think that's something that I can go off of. Um but yeah, I think it does help me a little bit. So was there anyone you you mentioned Janikowski? Was there anyone that you admired or looked up to, or that you've tried to model your style after in the NFL? Um, you know, I can't really go off of one specific guy. I think I have a little bit of. I, I try to watch a lot of guys. You know, um, as a kicker, you're kind of you're always going to be different. You can't really copy one guy. You know, I like to watch Harrison Bunker. Harrison Bucker's really good. Um, you got uh, Justin Tucker. He's very accurate. He, as you can see, uh, he, he just hit his career long 66 yards this last weekend. Um, I like to watch, uh, you know, Young Hoku is very accurate as well last, last season. He did really well. Um, but, you know, you can't really go off with one guy. You got to, you kind of take a lot from multiple different guys and you kind of just, and, you know, um, Take it into your own game. So, Harrison Mavis Mizzou's kicker, the thicker kicker, joining us here on 101 ESPN. And Harrison, I mentioned your Instagram, and that's the first place I go whenever I interview an athlete because I think you can learn a lot about someone from what they choose to post on Instagram. And I saw the thicker kicker shirts, and I'm scrolling down, and I see a post that you have on January 21st, 2017, for National Squirrel Appreciation Day. (laughs) So can you take me through this? Why did you want to post for National Squirrel Appreciation Day? That was that's a funny post. Uh, no, so squirrels are actually my favorite animal, and I, they've always just been my favorite animal. And I just decided to post about it um, to bring awareness to it for me, and you know, just my Instagram. So um, yeah, I, re- I just really like squirrels. You know, they pop up in movies. They're funny. You know, they're cute. They're it, it, you know, it brings joy to me. And so yeah, that's why on my Instagram. So. I didn't know that you were such a squirrel aficionado. You know, I would think, Harrison, most people, especially collegiate football players, would say a tiger or maybe a bear, but not you. You identify with a squirrel, so I appreciate that. Yeah, thank you. And I'm sure there's a lot of squirrels around campus, too, that you see all the time. Oh, no doubt. Missouri is loaded. Missouri, the University of Missouri campus is loaded with squirrels, so it's great. How are the squirrels? Now we're going off on a tangent here. How are the squirrels at Mizzou? Because I went to the University of Illinois, and the squirrels there were insane. They had no fear. They did not yeah. fear people. They would attack you. They were constantly running along your feet. So, what are the, what are the squirrels like in Columbia? Uh, they're pretty friendly here. They, they they you know they're not scared of people. That they, they you know you can get within five feet of them and walk by them and you know observe them and so it's pretty cool. So. Harrison Mavis, Mizzou's kicker, the thicker kicker here on 101 ESPN. Harrison, I know you're from Indiana. You were a highly ranked kicking prospect coming out of high school. You, I believe you're the nation's number two kicker and number 10 punter. And you had your choice of, of several schools. You had offers from Washington State and Army. But what was it about Mizzou that made you want to commit to the University of Missouri? That's a really good question. Um, you know, Missouri was the first school to offer me a full ride. Scholarship, and so that was that was one of the things that I really liked. I really liked the coaching staff at the time. They they really uh, you know I liked the culture that was here, but more so it's because of the school, the business school. Um, it's a really 
really good school and just the, the environment. You know, you're playing SEC football and, you, you know, you're going to get a good education. So um, those were the main factors of me choosing Mizzou. And what is it about the business school? Do you have um, any sights on what you want to do after college? Um, you know, I don't, honestly. I I just know that I wanted to do something in business, and I know that going to a good business school would be a good start. So yeah. um, I'll probably, and so far I'm thinking I'll probably end up doing something in management. So business management, something like that. Interesting. Well, you keep hitting 56-yard field goals. You might get a call from the league here. Well, Harrison, co- coming up uh, this weekend on Saturday, the Tigers take on Tennessee. As we mentioned, a tough one against Boston College. You said that everyone was really focused and quiet this week. What's the message heading into this SEC matchup versus the Vols? Um, I think the message is just that, uh, you know, it's another opportunity to go one and zero in the SEC And so, um, we were obviously this. This is why you come to Missouri to play football. You you come to play in the SEC East, and so we're gonna, you know, we're gonna enjoy this moment and take the opportunity to go one and zero in the SEC. Absolutely. Well, good luck to you, Harrison, this weekend versus the Tennessee Volunteers. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us today. It was great to chat with you. No, thank you. Thanks for having me. Mizzou's thicker kicker Harrison Mavis here on 101 ESPN. Coming up next, we're going to talk about a big-time move that is impacting the Milwaukee Brewers. Some news there. It's your killing me, Small, so keep it here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. It's Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Michelle Smallman and Chris Kerber hanging out with you. Kerbs is sitting in for Randy Carriker, who's enjoying some vacation this week. What a time for Randy to take vacation. Hey, I, with Jeremy on the fight yesterday and stuff, I think uh, I think we've done okay for Randy, but it's I think it's about time he gets his butt back to work here. Yes. You know, because he's the only one that seems to really enjoy the stress of that fight. The fight is not meant for everybody. No, it is this not. This is a Randy Carricker specific deal. Yeah, when people say, hey, Curbs, you want to come join us at a trivia table? They got a sports. I go, yeah, but you know I'm only good for the bean dip. But I imagine that's how athletes feel. If Paul Goldschmidt steps into the box, he's confident. He knows his skill set. That's like Randy on the fight. Anytime that he hears that intro, he, he it's like him stepping in the box. He knows he's going to die. And I will tell you, like, I, and I... I listen for the amazement of it. I'm like, how the hell did he know this? I know. Like, it is, it really is impressive. It is the number one thing that I get asked about when I meet people and they talk about the show. They're like, is Randy cheating? How does he do that? I'm like, I wish there was a video stream that you could watch because he doesn't look anything up. It's just all from his brain. All right, well, it's time for... Oh, Emily sneaking that in there. 101 ESPN has your chance to win a pair of tickets to see the Cardinals take on the Cubs this Saturday night at Bush. 30,000 fans age 16 or older are going to take home their very own Paul Goldschmidt bobblehead courtesy of Purina. That's going to be amazing. You want that for your mantle, no doubt. You can get all the information for this weekend's giveaway and, of course, the series Cards versus the Cubs right now at cardinals.com slash promotions. Have you seen the bobblehead? I have. It's sweet. Um, this Emily sounds like she's going to be texting in curbs. Would you cool. be, would you be allowed to uh, if somebody gave you an Anthony Rizzo bobblehead with the Chicago Cubs? Would you would you take it? Sure, I'd sell it on eBay. Oh, you'd sell it? Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> Why do I want a Chicago Cubs? Chicago Blackhawks came into the booth one night and they gave a, 
they're really cool. They, they give their giveaways to like everybody in the press box and stuff. And I'm like, I'm not taking home a Patrick Kane bobblehead. Sell it on And eBay. then I go, ah, you know what? Yeah, I am. Side we, hustle. No, we took we took it home. And then I, I taught my kids again what it means to be a Blues fan and not a Blackhawks fan. <laughs> so with an aluminum wiffle ball bat, we just, wham. You went, went office out. space on it? We went out and went to see how far we could wow. either shatter the head on that thing or see how far we could hit it off the body. That's violent, that is what like you it. do. That is what you do in a rivalry, right? The hatred exists. The That's hatred exactly exists. Right. All right, guys. Well, how about we do uh, number 28? Texture number 28 in honor of one Nolan Arenado. The final word and the phrase that pays is back. Text the whole phrase in right now to 65780. You're killing me, Smalls. Well, Curb, some major news coming out of the Brewers' side of things yesterday. Devin Williams, who's the Brewers' native St. Louis, top setup reliever. He is lights out. He actually broke his hand, his pitching hand, following the Brewers clinching the National League Central Division on Sunday night following the game. He spoke to the media and explained what happened yesterday. Um, So after our celebration, I... uh have a few drinks and on my way home um, you know, I was a little frustrated, upset and um, I punched a wall so that's, that's how it happened you know, I'm pretty upset with, with myself there's, there's no one to blame but me um, you know, I feel like I've let my team down our coaching staff, our fans you know, everyone you know how big of a role that I play on this team and there's a lot of people counting on me all I can do now is cheer my team on and learn from it and don't make that same mistake in the future. This is a major loss for the Brewers. Devin Williams obviously has filthy stuff. And in case you were straining to hear that, because it was in the dugout, and I think it was recorded on a cell phone, after the Brewers clinched the Central Division on Sunday, Devin Williams went out. He had a couple cocktails. We'll we'll say drinks. We don't know if it was beer or cocktails, whatever. And he broke his pitching hand after he punched a wall. David Stearns told reporters that he has to undergo surgery to put a plate in his hand to repair that fracture, that the injury is going to keep him out for the remainder of the season, but there's no there's no other way to look at it, Curbs. A huge loss for the Brewers. A dumb moment, a human moment. We all have them. Um, yeah. Hey, listen. Good for the Cardinals. Good for another team. You know, yeah. I mean, if you're sitting there, this, this is why you battle to get into the playoffs. This is why when you're in the playoffs, anything can happen. It, it, could, be a, it could be a hunting knife trying to open up a thing like happened to Mike Matheny, right? Drone it could injury. Be, uh, <laughs> didn't Woody Williams have an injury once at one point in time uh, years ago or something like that as, as you're getting close? Like like all these different things. A guy could slip down the stairs, sprain an ankle. Um, what a dumb moment. First off, watch Bull Durham for crying out loud. Okay, what hand did you hit me with? I don't know. Why does it matter? Well, which hand did you? hit me with you know if you get in a bar fight you don't hit somebody with a pitching hand if you're frustrated at home and you punch the wall which i'm sure plenty of people have done in 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 their lives i've done it once don't do it with your pitching hand you know so uh it's a shame now i i gotta tell you and i I don't know him uh personally at all don't know anything about him other than pitching and his stats and, and what he's got man that's a tough situation to have to stand there in front of the media and, and, and say what he said and own it the way he owned it. And, and life happens. So I don't, man, I don't begrudge him. I don't hold anything against him. I don't judge him or anything like that. That's just, it's a tough situation that he put himself in and the Brewers in. But, um, I mean, that, that that's life. I actually, don't you almost, did, don't you almost feel bad? 
in that situation for him? And oh. Part of you, human wise, it just feels bad for the guy. You you heard it in his voice. He yeah. clearly is devastated, and he knows the severity of the mistake that he made mm-hmm. and how it's going to affect yeah. his team. And he was very accountable for it. Answered all of the questions. And alcohol is undefeated. No one drinks more than once and doesn't do something stupid in their life and it's just a real shame that this happened to him that he did this I don't want to say it happened to him because he was the the causation here but if you're the Brewers all of a sudden you're looking at this loss and this is going to affect you in a big way so he was the the rookie of the year in the National League last year he's 8-2 and with a 2.50 ERA 87 strikeouts and 54 innings he sets up Josh Hader it's like they're the best late game combination in baseball the Brewers are 70 and Four when leading after seven innings. Devin Williams, and obviously, he's a big a, reason why. A huge part of that equation. And the Brewers are a really dangerous team. And here, here you are. You've done your job all season. You know the talent that you have. You're on a team that's headed to the postseason and that really has a chance of winning this. And then because you have some drinks and you, you make a mistake, you make a, a poor choice, I should say, you are putting your team in a bad position. It, it has to be a tough pill to swallow. Uh, by the light of day and he he went on to talk about it in his presser I watched the entire thing that he actually did try to pitch with it because he didn't think it was as severe as it was right. the injury and then they did an x-ray on it and revealed that it was in fact in fact broken and, and not only that had put to do surgery to put a plate in there mm-hmm. you know to, to to help it heal so yeah that's a tough situation that's a, that is one of the the bad mental choices that you end up making sometimes and and it hurt now again Just get in, baby, because different things can happen come the postseason, and that would be one of them. Well, let's, uh, for this segment, go around the NL Central a little bit and try to check in with some other fan bases, shall we? You're killing me, Smalls. So, Curbs, Mike Wilbon, PTI, ESPN fame, is a well-noted Chicago guy and a Cubs fan. And there's been some public facing Cubs fans who have not been having a good time in recent weeks watching the Cardinals get super hot win 17 games in a row and punch their ticket to the postseason. Mike Wilbon, one of them. This is what they do. This is what the Cardinals do. They've done this in previous seasons. They've done it as a spoiler. They've done it getting in and keeping you out, so therefore replacing you. They've done it in the first round of the playoffs. They've done it in the second round of the playoffs. Tony, when you got Wayne Wright and John Lester, these are accomplished guys. I mean, they both may go to the Hall of Fame. Those so. guys are the boogeyman. They can take somebody out. That makes you a threat. It's kind of fun to hear people talk about the Cardinals in this way, is it not? This is what they do. This is what the Cardinals do. Completely useless by September. <laughs> Cubs. I love it. I, Michelle, I love the fact that... Cincinnati Red fans had hope for a while. I love the fact that Chicago Cubs fans had hope for a while. I feel sorry for Pittsburgh Pirates fans because they deserve so much better than the product that that organization has constantly put out over the last, oh, 20 years or so. I know they had a little success in there, and I know you saw guys like McCutcheon for a while, but it's fleeting, right? So I kind of feel a little bit bad for the Pittsburgh Pirates fans, right? But... But I love the fact that from a division rivalry standpoint that the Cubs and the Reds fans are not crying in their milk and the Cardinals have done what they've done. And I love the fact that it pisses them off. Well, before we wrap up, let's hear from another well-known Cubs fan. You're killing me, Smalls. Coach K, Mike Krzyzewski, Duke, a very noted Cubs fan. He actually opened his, his presser this week talking about the Cardinals. Here's what Coach K had to say. 
Now we started. And there are no St. Louis Cardinal questions <laughs> at all. <laughs> at all. At all. At all. The last three weeks have been nauseating. The last three weeks, Coach K says, have been nauseating. And before he even started answering questions, he prefaced it with no St. Louis Cardinals questions. Michelle, I, you'd have to, we'd have to jog some memory here, but I think it was, oh man, was it was it much earlier in the season where he somebody was asking him about the rivalry too, and and, and he went into and he talked about just how great that rivalry between the Cards and, and the Cubs was. So I, I love the fact that they did that. And, and when the rivalry is respectful and healthy, it is it is awesome. And it's even, like it's always, but look, you, you're from St. I looked at Brandon Saad the other day, last week, okay? I looked at Brandon Saad, first time I ever met the guy, he won two Stanley Cups with the Chicago Blackhawks. And I looked at it and said, I'm from St. Louis, we were trained not to like the Blackhawks. That's the first thing I said to the guy <laughs> right. when I introduced myself to him. So that's that's the way it should be. Good for, good for Coach K. I, he should not field cardinal questions. He should be upset. That's right. Yeah. I can imagine if the roles were reversed, a lot of Cardinals fans would feel the same way about the Cubs. That's Chris Kerber. I'm Michelle Smallman. And coming up next, as we head down the stretch here on Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN, the Cardinals are in action today, a little day baseball. We're going to give you the Cardinal lineup next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Smallman on 101 ESPN. Michelle Smallman and Chris Kerber here with you. And we wanted to give a shout out to Pamela from St. Louis, who is our winner. She is going to the Cardinals Cubs game this Saturday night at Bush. She is also going to get a Paul Goldschmidt bobblehead courtesy of Purina because she knew that today's phrase that pays was absolutely coming back. A little nod to Nolan Arenado, who announced yesterday that he is not opting out, Curbs, that he is in fact staying in St. Louis. Wasn't shocked. Love it. Yeah, it's not a shocking bit of news, but it's a relief. But it's a great piece of news. It's a relief. Well, because, I mean, for whatever the reason possibly could be, the option was there to opt out. Sure. And he's got another one next year. But let's face it, I, I love the fact that, that he didn't. He's because with with with, with soon to be Wainwright and Yadier Molina leaving, to me he is the one guy remaining that is the one you're paying a ticket to see. Him and Jack Flaherty are my next two. Matt Goldie? Pay. Hey, well, no. Listen, I love the I love the consistency of Goldie and 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 the stuff. There's just a, I just get a different vibe. Like, but the one I'm going like I'm I'm not as excited to go see Goldie play as much as I am. Like, you, like, like Goldie's a gold glover at first base, but he's so dang good, like, it almost makes it look easy. I, I can't explain it. Like, well, that's like, because he's the big fundy. <laughs> he's the big fundamental. They call him the big fundy yeah, because I, he's just so cons- he's so consistent. No, he is. He is. But there's that little bit of extra energy and fun. I'm almost like, and especially since he got here, and the, so, and the excitement he had is just to put the birds on the bat on his chest. Um you 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 sit in the stands and you feel the energy of Arenado. Mm-hmm. You do. Um, you feel the nastiness of Flaherty. It's like like I mean when you when I when I get tickets to a game or I I can I go and I'm first thing I look at who's pitching, right? And if it's Wainwright on the mound, it's been this way for years. I'm like yes. Or if it was Carpenter, I'm like now I'm pumped up. You know it's Yachty behind the plate. 
Arenado's one of those, and, and I'm glad he's going to be here a long time. You know what? I think a lot of people in St. Louis would buy a ticket right now to see Tyler O'Neill. Yep. Yep. Doesn't fit the same for me, but I totally get it. And now that's the best part of being a fan. There's something going to I can't wait to go watch what, what Harrison Bader's going to do right. in the outfield. I'm loving watching the early stages of Dylan Carlson's career. Those, those are, those are, that's the great part of being a fan. Well, we're going to tell you who you're going to watch today because the Cardinals have a day game. 12-15, first pitch, the Cardinals versus the Brewers. Brett Anderson versus Jay Happ. And, Curbs, in fact, we do have the lineup. Would you like to know the starting lineup for your St. Louis Cardinals today? I would. Fire. Leading off, we have Tommy Edmond. Dylan Carlson hitting two. He's in the two hole. He's hitting second. Tyler O'Neill in the three hole. Nolan Arenado, of course, following him. Paul DeYoung is hitting fifth. Jose Rondon playing right mm-hmm. field, hitting sixth. Matt Carpenter is your first baseman today, hitting seventh. Andrew Kisner is your catcher, so another day out for Yadier Molina. And, of course, batting ninth, your pitcher today, Jay Happ. So uh, a mixture of some regulars and some substitutes today. Hey, before we end up closing out of here, so apparently Randy Carricker is not out on the golf course at the moment. He's not. No, he's been doing some research and some studying, and he's tweeting. He's tweeting? He's what tweeting. is he tweeting okay, about? Okay, this... This is actually phenomenal. I try to avoid that this, website. Yeah, I, I understand. And actually, what I've done is I've really cleaned mine out. So I, I, I took the Kenny Wallace approach. I started just blocking a whole bunch of people and, and, and stuff like that. Well, real quick, so, you can follow Chris Kerber on Twitter, at Chris Kerber. Right. But no, he may block you. Yeah, no, if you, well, listen, you can disagree with me all you want. I actually love discussion and disagreements. The, the, the moment you get stupid and rude, I'm like, move on. I have, I, I have, I have no time for I you. I block everyone that is rude, mean, or or gross. If you say something gross, you're yeah. out automatically. I think I think that's legit. Okay, so here's what Randy tweeted. Okay, tell me. In 2016, the Cardinals were eliminated in game 162. In 2017, it was game 158. Okay. Mm-hmm. In 2018, mm-hmm. it was game 161. I remember. Since the end of the 2010 season, the Cardinals have played a total of four regular season games in which they didn't have a chance to make the postseason. Think about that for a second. Like, let that sink in. And I mean, that, that that butter sinks into the bread, and it's just, I mean, it's, oh, my goodness. Holy and, cow. And people have their gripes about ownership. People have their gripes about the moves or lack of moves they think the front office should have made. But we are very lucky here in St. Louis. If you, since you said 2010, yeah. have only played four games that are meaningless. Four games where you have essentially been eliminated. Now, some of it might have been a foregone conclusion every now and then in there, and it was a matter of time, but that's not the point. The point is you've played four games where you were out of the playoff race. That's pretty Holy special. Cow. And that's why Players like Paul Goldschmidt want to come here, and players like yeah. Nolan Arenado want to come here. And, and and some people and some people think, well, if you didn't win the championship, then it, then it's medi- mediocre. What? No, not not necessarily. Like you, know, you kind of forget Mike Schilt's first year. Remember that you went all the way to the league championship series, and then you ran into the team of destiny with the Washington Nationals, right? So I mean, just. Just awesome. Well, Curbs, thanks so much for hanging out this morning and all this week. We've enjoyed spending time with you. Uh, My pleasure. It was a lot of fun. Thanks for all the work you guys did. You're the best. And Emily, thank you for your great work today. Emily Butcher. Absolutely. Thank you. And Danny Mack and BK are coming up next. They have two great guests today, Jim Hayes and Brian Walton. So you want to be sure to stay tuned for them. They're going to have a great show as always. It's been Carriker and Smallman. Until tomorrow, have a great day, St. Louis. That was the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. 
With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.